I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of May 2022, and uh, we are in the midst of a little bit of a broken up month here. It's supposed to be Masterclass Revisited Month. Uh, wherein we've been revisiting Masterclass's past and uh, exploring the most recent films in uh, film franchises that we have covered in the Masterclass format prior. Uh, However, for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've had a little lull in the action, so we're going to be doing some stuff uh, wherein we're exploring movies that we will never be doing Masterclasses about. Uh, Last week, we covered uh, the most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the year 2022, Uh, And this week, uh, we will be covering Scream from 2022, which is technically Scream 5. However, they chose not, they opted not to include the number in the title. I know they did the the Scream for the Scream 4 marketing. Uh, However, there is no number uh, included in the title for this Scream, uh, as was the style at the time, uh, which was brought in vogue by a the most recent uh, Halloween remake, where we're now in an era of the subgenre where when we're going to reboot or reinvigorate a franchise instead of throwing a subtitle or a number on the title, we just call it the same thing we did before. <laughs> so, Kyle, uh, where do we begin with Scream 5? Like, do you want to offer up an explanation as to why you, why you uh, chose this one? Well, I didn't choose this one. You actually chose this one. I did. I'm pretty sure you served it up, and I just said, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> no, I, I said, I'm, I'm like, I'll pick the Texas Chainsaw Mask, and you're like, yeah, I'll do Scream 5. Uh, you're, okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. do you want to tell us why you chose Scream 5? <laughs> oh, well, I chose it because, you know, I decided to go hand-in-hand hand with, with your thinking, was that I have no intention of yeah. doing a master class on the Scream franchise. I do quite like most of the Scream films. I think the only true low point in the franchise is Scream 3, and it's not even that low. It's just like not as consistent, like in terms of quality as the other films. Um, but I just, I just don't have the energy nor the interest level to do a deep dive into that particular franchise. And the same kind of goes for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's like I have a passing interest in it. I have seen a couple of films from it, um, but I just, I just don't feel the need. I just don't have that itch to really know the the entirety of the franchise frontwards and backwards. So I thought. My, my relationship to the franchise is kind of similar, I guess, is where I was coming from. Makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, so similarly, um, I'm not, I had no interest in diving into this property, this franchise. It never really interested me. Um, but this was it, this is an interesting film franchise because this is, if I remember anything from the 90s, it was like The Millennium, Scream, and Backstreet Boys. Like, those were all things that are just like, yeah, just right there. This was probably the most popular horror movie of when we were kids, I would have to say. Um, I went as a ghost face for three Halloweens, easy. Because uh, it's like the cheapest costume that you can get at the store. It's a, it's a, it's a cloak and a mask, like just a cheap-ass mask. Um, but yeah, I actually, so I finished watching this, and I'm like, I'm going to go back and rewatch the original, uh, just to kind of see. I got about... F- eight minutes into it and I'm like yeah I'm not gonna watch this I'm not gonna do that I was really 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 close to just re-watching scary movie <laughs> the first scary movie because it's basically <laughs> the same thing 
Okay, well, let me uh, let me try to dig a little deeper then and ask, in those eight minutes, what was it that you found repulsive? <laughs> like, what was it that made you shy away from completing it? Two words, Matthew Lillard. <laughs> yeah, I can't blame you. <laughs> so I was just like, the the movie starts off fun. Like, it's, it's an iconic opening scene. Everybody knows the opening scene. And if you've seen Scream 2022, and that's the only one you've seen, you've seen the opening scene from the original Scream. Uh, but no, Matthew Lillard just starts talking when they're at the fountain. And again, I couldn't help but think of Scary Movie where they're all around there, but Bobby's like super poor, so he's like washing his clothes in the fountain. So I'm also like can't not see Scary Movie in my head when I'm watching it. But I'm just like, it all came flashing back. It's like his obnoxiousness throughout the film just came flashing back. I'm like, oh, I do not have the strength for this right now. Also, I'm pretty turned off by the meta port, like the meta part of the Scream movies. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this again. Like, I just don't want to, I don't want to listen to it again. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because, like, this is something that Kyle was telling me about um, before we started recording, like, his particular gripe with that aspect of these films. And just, like, film in general. This isn't specifically targeted at the Scream films. This is is a thing that is obnoxious to Kyle just in general. Um, But it's interesting that that's that's a, a point of contention for you because uh, that's kind of the signature of the franchise in a lot of ways. Like that, that was the novelty of that first film because slashers, like I haven't done a fucking history report on this stuff, but as far as I understand, um, the mid nineties were not exactly a high point for the subgenre. It was no. like, we, we were kind of, we were kind of coasting towards oblivion um, at that point <laughs> in time for the subgenre. So leave it to Wes Craven to, to show up and write the ship essentially and, and just like reinvigorate the entire genre altogether and brought on a whole slew of imitators um, for better or for worse. But, but yeah, uh, the, the success of the, the scream films is, was uh, incredible. I remember the marketing campaign for pretty much all the older ones, like the first two in particular. Um, and I was fortunate to, to see the, the first couple movies like around the time they first came out. And you're absolutely right, Kyle. They were probably the biggest horror films of, of our relative age range. Like they were huge. Like and and they were really, really watchable. Like I remember a lot of my friends had the VHS and we a lot of us would just put it on because it had a nice rhythm to it and it was I don't know, especially for somebody who was not yet a teenager, like when they were watching it, it had it had that appeal to it where it's like you're you're looking at all the actors there and you're not seeing like Matthew Lillard's overblown performance. You're seeing basically like MTV people and like mm-hmm. what you're what you're envisioning your teenage years will look like, I guess. Yes. Yes. Um but yeah, the the meta commentary has been a thing through the, through the franchise like and persists to this day. Like the first movie kind of probably wasn't the very first to really do that to like throw its hand up and be self-aware about the tropes of its own genre i'm sure there were others that came before um but they would expand it and go in different directions after that but go ahead from what i understand wes craven took a crack at it with um new nightmare that was kind of supposed to be a meta a meta film about the horror genre very much so and more specifically that that franchise itself like it, it's self-referential like it, that movie is very fascinating actually um our, our uh, friends over at the movies for life podcast actually very recently put up a review of that one uh 
I need to shout them out because uh, Brian and Michelle, they're both like certified experts on Wes Craven. Not mm-hmm. not just the, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but just the entirety of Wes Craven's, not just filmography, but life. Um, you can you can learn, like if you want a master class on Wes Craven, just listen to movies for life. <laughs> they, you will learn quite a bit. But um, that movie's interesting because like, it was actually the first Nightmare on Elm Street film that I ever saw. And it's such a bizarre entry point. <laughs> like, like that is the last place you s- should start, honestly. Because th- that film, like, it makes so many references unto itself. That's like, Trevor, how did you derive entertainment from this? How did you even get this? Like, you were like 11 or some shit when you saw this. And you had never even seen a Freddy Krueger film. The fuck are you doing? But somehow I ended up enjoying it. Um, and also, like, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, there, there's so many cameos and like references in there that after after you've done the legwork of actually getting to know all the moving parts uh, that went into the creation of that franchise, it becomes much much more entertaining. Like just just the novelty of seeing like the producers and Wes Craven himself portray themselves on film within the film. I know I know all of this is just pissing you right the fuck off Kyle because this is all of that made a shit you're talking about um but I found it fascinating I I quite enjoy that film yeah it probably would have been more interesting if it was just like a one and done if it hadn't just become what the franchise was again I don't know what the other movies are like I don't know if it's still meta if, if all of them are just super meta but this one seems overly meta like it's it's like crippling it it's like too much in my opinion well, that I want to say that's a consequence of any franchise that persists as long as this one has. Yeah. Like it, it just happens. Like like anything that has this much legacy and a fan base as as varied and expansive as a, as a franchise like this, it's inevitable they'll end up turning into just this Ouroboros that's like eating its own ass. Like mm. like, like there there are shots from the original film replicated in this film while a a film within a film is playing back that same scene <laughs> so this movie is engineered to piss kyle off oh. um but i i don't find it as vexing as you do occasionally it is irritating to me when uh, the quality of the writing isn't up to snuff and some of the some of the concepts expressed by the characters aren't verbalized in a convincing manner like I appreciate the themes, similar to our our discussion about the Batman, about Matt Reeves' Batman. Mm-hmm. I appreciate a lot of the ideas, but in terms of execution, uh, this film and many other films past, uh, there are instances where it's it's just not done well, and you end up rolling your eyes at it. Um, I didn't get too much of that from this movie. Um, I found most of the references and the meta the meta textual narratives to be novel and and kind of clever in, in their own right but um not as clever as, as it had been 20 plus years ago or whatever well i feel like this movie caters perfectly to the fan base which is not me so i don't i honestly don't think this is a bad movie like this is not not too bad for a slasher like i didn't have any problems with it but the meta part the meta part in the in the dialogue <laughs> um the the there's no suspense really for me slashers aren't suspenseful like that that's there's just not there's nothing there except for the strangers if again if you're classifying the strangers as a slasher film 
that movie is scary as shit. But it also goes outside. It kind of goes outside of the the slasher genre and kind of does something different. Um, but yeah, this movie isn't terrible. But I'm wondering. I do want to get like a consensus of a consensus of people who like the Scream franchise if they like this film because I feel like it was tailored perfectly to them. It's like we have everything you want. Who did it? Who has a motive? There's got to be two people. Who are the two people? Why did those two people have a motive? Uh, I don't know. That's. I feel like Screamheads probably really like this movie. Uh, I think they're split down the middle, honestly. Mm. Uh, I, I didn't do a whole lot of research, but what little I did, there are some people who really hate this movie, mm. um, and then there are some people who think it's the best sequel out of all of them. Um, it I mean, probably is, if I had to guess. I don't know. I'm partial to that second one. Really? Yeah, the fourth one, actually. Oof. The fourth one is not bad. And, and some aspects of that fourth one uh, actually feel surprisingly relevant today, even though it came out in 2011. Mm. Um, it, well, there's a lot of stuff involving uh, social media and live casting. Can't have enough of that. Twi- well, but in 2011, Kyle, that was that was kind of ahead of the curve such that I, I seem to remember people griping about like the technology's not there yet. We can't, you can't do oh. that. You can't walk around, you can't walk around with a webcam attached to your head. Pretty soon, dude, you, you can just live stream yourself going to the grocery store and getting a cookies and cream candy bar and you'll get people watching that. That's content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if we had selfie sticks in 2011, but we uh, sure as hell do now. Um, and people have Twitch streams and stuff. So like, in 2011, that was a little far-fetched and felt like sci-fi or something. But in 2022, it's like, wow, actually, that's like reality. Yeah. <laughs> Only difference is it's cell phones, not webcams. But um, yeah, I, I actually quite like Scream 4 for the most part. And and the second one, I think, ups the ante in some fun ways. Also, pretty cool opening. Uh, I don't know if you remember that one, Kyle, but Which pretty, pretty solid opener. Scream 2. Oh, yes, very much. I do remember that. I think a lot of people that are following the Will Smith stuff might want to watch that. <laughs> watch the beginning yeah. of that. <laughs> I think yeah. you might you might enjoy a part of that movie. <laughs> uh, but the the fourth one though has, probably has the opening that just like I I imagine you turn the fourth one off faster than the first one because it's I, it's a it's a movie within a movie within a movie. Nope. In the opening minutes of the I'm movie. getting a nosebleed, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. I'm sorry. <laughs> Moving on. Where do we go from here? Um, I guess let's just talk about the movie. Um, I, yeah, I, I, shit. Let me give you a plot rundown. Have you seen Please. a screen? Have you seen a screen movie? <laughs> it's that. That's the plot. It's the exact same <laughs> fucking thing that happens every time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're you're not wrong. It is intentionally retreading a lot of steps from the previous films. Only difference is. Uh, we have a stronger emphasis on attempting to integrate a new cast with an old cast, yeah. uh, which is kind of the the core concept behind the meta narrative uh, behind this film. Let's talk about that real quick. I, I'm, I'm kind sure. of curious. Um, I don't think this was done... T- it, it was done okay. I think it's hard to shoehorn. That's something that we like doing now is we have to shoehorn old members of the franchise. Literally, we've done... This is the third movie this month that we're doing where that's happened? No. I think so. It's pretty close. Um, Yeah, where we have to get an original character into the film. We get three, at least three in this one. I don't know if the cop lady was in any screen movies. She was definitely... She was. I was going to say, she was was definitely old enough and around acting around that time to have been in one of those movies. Um, 
But I, I have to say, um, David Arquette, I miss him. I wish I saw him more. Uh, he was probably the highlight of the movie for me. Yeah, so folks at home, full spoilers, by the way. Um, if you've been listening to Catching Up on Cinema for any length of time, you should be aware of that. But just in case, this movie is recent enough that maybe you don't want to know who did what, uh, who did who dirty. Um, but um, yeah, David Arquette was, uh, he was, I'm, I'm not sure if I would say I missed him, but as soon as he was in the movie, I was like, yeah, this guy, this guy's got, he's got some juice. Mm-hmm. He's got some juice left, man. Like, like I, he, I don't know if he was ever correctly utilized in his, in his acting career. Uh, probably because as a person, he seems like very difficult to pin down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in this film, he's quite good, and he also is somewhat charming in those other Scream films. Uh, he has a warmth to him, and he plays a he plays a good oaf. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, by the time he got to this one, I think he had finished up his pro wrestling tour, um, and I was so I was so glad to see him get physical because like that was my that was my initial reaction to hearing that he was cast in this film was that oh he just got done being a pro wrestler after the events of that documentary you cannot kill uh david arquette Mm. so i was like he's probably still got some moves man like he had to have learned something and he certainly took some bumps so i was like he better take a fucking bump and scream five and sure enough he takes a couple bumps and i was like yeah yeah, that that's way to way to parlay those skills into your into enhancing your acting career, and then he gets killed. Yeah, <laughs> and he gets killed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they they did him right. Uh, the other two, their motivations for coming back, you know, like the characters, I didn't. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I didn't really understand why they came back. <laughs> Believe me, trust me, there were. There were definitely moments in this movie where I was not paying attention. Whenever we're doing serious acting, I am completely checked out. Yeah, I want to say that's maybe a consequence of 2022 um, and, ju- and just like trends of the day. Because that's not something I ever asked for in any of the Scream films. I don't, I don't need heartfelt family drama. I don't, I don't need three to four different scenes where people shed tears like emotional tears not not terror tears just like pouring your heart out tears i don't need that in my my scream film let alone my slasher film i feel like that's just part of out of the environment we're in these days it's like i want to say it's like maybe an audience expectation thing like i've i've heard that said about slasher movies and even like bollywood films like that this is a weird comparison but like try to bear with me so like slasher films it used to be there was like the 10 to 15 minute rule where it's like if we don't have nudity or violence every 10 to 15 minutes we are failing as film producers or directors or what have you um and like bollywood it's like a lot of those movies go up to like three hours and whatnot but there's an expectation similar to like a a stage musical or something that's like you will have your your action and or musical beats like on the fucking clock like we we got to do this, and I want to say maybe that's just the audience expectation these days for just cinema in general. It's like if it doesn't if it doesn't ever get heavy, then why do I care? It's like it's like maybe watch a different movie. <laughs> but but yeah, me personally, I, I didn't I didn't need that. But um yeah, as far as motivations for the other legacy characters in this, and there are many by the way. Like like uh, Kyle had said, there's Sheriff Judy. 
And then there's a Deputy Dewey. Deputy Dewey. Which is David Arquette. And then we have uh, Sidney Prescott, who is Nev Campbell. And I think it's Gail Weathers is uh, Courtney Cox. Um, and it's it. there is actually some novelty to the meta uh, narrative between her and David Arquette. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, two, of course, the two of them were married at one point during... The, the Scream franchise, like over the course of the franchise, they were married and I believe divorced. Uh, so this movie probably represents a sort of at least on screen reunion for them. And the movie does pull the lens back a little bit to let that moment breathe a little bit because because of the Redditors and stuff and the super fans out there who give a shit about stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the Gail Weathers character, all, all of them, all three of them have been part of the franchise since day one. And they, uh, as far as I understand, um, Sydney and Gail both stay an element in the narrative uh, exclusively because Deputy Dewey goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, they show up in town for various reasons. Like Gail in particular, she's a reporter, which, you know, from a screenwriting standpoint, yes, that makes sense. If there's murders in a small town where there have been many murders before, obviously she has a reason to show up. But ultimately, it's like his death that results in them sticking around to, to settle the score, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, the the woman that Kyle had mentioned earlier, uh, Sheriff Judy uh, I forget how many movies she was in, but I'm pretty sure she was at least in the fourth one. Um, and she's like, she gets promoted. Like, she takes Dewey's job between the two movies, as far as I understand. I was trying to remember. Uh, it was a different woman uh, who played the the wife in the um, Hills Have Eyes remake, but I can't remember the actress's name. I think she was in um, 30 Days and 30 Nights, but I was thinking it was her for some reason. I'm like, no, it's not her. It's somebody else. Sorry. Got distracted there. Um yeah, I just want to talk about the movie a bit. Yeah, so um, we get the classic opening where we've got girl by herself uh, talking on a landline. Still have to have a landline. Nobody has landlines. Nobody. Nobody has them. Yeah, yeah, that, that was actually one of my first notes too. It was just the word landline question mark (laughs) it's like it's almost like these movies don't work unless you have a landline because nobody's gonna answer the phone and it's stupid to sit there and have text messages be the menacing part of the movie i'm like that's not gonna work that's pretty stupid yeah i I think the the writers and the directors were uh keenly aware of that um such that the the phone stuff is i want to say downplayed uh as compared to scream films prior to this one um there is some humor that comes out of seeing a woman wield two phones at the same time. <laughs> to me, funny. that's just that's just a funny visual. But yeah, the, the landline thing, I was like, hang on, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, and also, it's weird because there's like technology uh, added to that sequence. Like, like there's a tech, technological threat uh, during that opening sequence that doesn't really have any sort of bearing on the rest of the film, Mm-mm. which is unusual because like Wes Craven... Like I don't, I'm not an expert. I'm not Brian from Movies for Life, um, but I do know that he has a fascination with booby traps and gadgets. <laughs> He's really big on booby traps, Kyle. He's really big on them. Like he was doing Home Alone shit in his movies before we had Home Alone. Yeah, I remember uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. That's like the whole thing is like we're gonna pull him back and then we're gonna put gunpowder into the lamp or whatever it is that she does. 
Yeah, no, she like rigs the house with booby traps. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure the people under the stairs are, I forget the title exactly, I'm pretty sure there's some booby traps in that one too. And the director himself, Wes Craven, has gone on record saying like, I just like him. <laughs> like, like, like what? I don't know why people it. have a problem with this. I just like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about this scene a little bit because, I mean, yeah, it's the same kind of opening scene from the first horror, the first uh, uh, screen movie. But what pissed me off was the content. It was probably put there for a reason. Honestly, I think they're trolling me a bit. Uh, but they they bash on what she calls elevated horror, and you and I have referred to as I think. Brad's the one that also refers to it as prestige horror. But she's like, what's your... I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's, like, our collective has, has called it that. But I think the general term that most other folks use is elevated horror. Although I have heard that there is pushback against that um, from a lot of horror fans. It should just be horror. I'm with you. But yeah, I, I, think, I think that's the consensus these days. But elevated horror still gets tossed around pretty regularly. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to differentiate it somehow and not sound like an asshole, but just calling it what it is. It's horror. But yeah, she's like, oh, what's your favorite horror movie? And she's like, oh, The Babadook. And he's like, oh, what's that? And she's like, it's elevated horror. And she's like, oh, I don't like that stuff. It's boring. And she mentions, like, all the other good horror movies, uh, The Witch, Hereditary. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I think that stuff's boring. So either, one, the directors are trolling us and just like, I'm going to piss off the people watching this and tell them those movies suck. Or two... They legit think those movies are boring and they can go fuck themselves uh, because those are original, really good original ideas they had for screenplays and they're genuinely scary. So eat a dick. Well, uh, would you like to con- like conclude talking about this scene or do you want to get into that right now? I'm just going to conclude talking. Uh, I'm, that's, all, that's all I have to say about talking about those, those movies. Well, but I think I think that's like the core theme of this movie um, is is what I'm getting at. So I'm just curious if you want to finish finish talking about the events of this opening sequence, or if you want to bounce right into the the dreaded meta commentary. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, okay. So, spoiler alert: he gets her. We have the. the do you want to talk about the issue with the uh, the locks? Was that something that you were just talking about? Was the the killer opening up the door? I mean, that's what I was alluding to when I said technology okay. at work. Like, like. The, also, there's mention of cloning a cell phone. Yeah. Which I, I don't think that's ever brought up again. Maybe it was, like, behind the scenes, something that happened, but no, nobody ever put a hat on it for us, the, the dumb viewer. Um, but, like, it's hinted earlier on that, like, technology, and even in the trailers, like, the, the door lock thing was part of the trailers and the marketing for this film. Yeah. Like, I was expecting maybe a little bit more of that throughout the movie, but no, it's pretty much just standard stabby-stabby stuff. The the phone cloning, I think, was just a, a plot device that was like, anybody could be anybody, and this person could be anybody at any time. So it's like, who do you trust, who you're getting a call from, or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the, the meta part of it, um, please continue. I'd love to get into this. <laughs> okay, well, I would like to circle back around to this just to talk about like the kills and stuff because it, it's a slasher movie it's something it should be talked about but um what you're talking about with this dialogue this character tara um who is played by probably the best actress in the movie if you ask me um, uh, yeah her Ortega. sister is awful her sister's she's one of the worst actresses ever it's pretty terrible 
Amber Heard is more convincing on on the stand right now than this uh, world is. Shots fired. <laughs> Shit. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, your Melissa Barrera uh, is our main actress. Uh, she plays Sam Carpenter. Uh, probably an allusion to John Carpenter. I have to imagine because this film is riddled with references to other poor slash slasher films. Um. But our uh, our actress in the opening of the film, who surprisingly carries through the entirety of the film, mm-hmm. uh, breaking from tradition, uh, is Jenna Ortega. And uh, I was I was really hoping that the roles would be reversed because she is acting circles mm-hmm. around <laughs> around Sam this entire movie. Like you're absolutely right, Kyle. Like I saw uh, in the theater with the girlfriend um, uh, in the Heights. And uh, Melissa Barrera is uh, the main actress. She's the lead actress in that, which is also a musical. Oh. So maybe maybe that's more her speed, a musical theater type performance rather than, you know, a horror performance. Um, but yeah, I, I've read all manner of nasty comments about her in term, in like reviews and stuff. People really generally don't like this, this actress. Um, I wasn't terribly impressed. She, like the word wooden gets tossed around a lot and unfortunately I'm in, inclined to agree um, she does have a extensive background in telenovelas as far as I understand mm, and this apparently is, musical theater this is probably just not her wheelhouse you're right we're not well, being fair yeah. uh, as, I, as I said about audience expectations she has a lot of those scenes those soap opera scenes where she's sitting, sitting down telling sad stories and crying mm-hmm. that she seems pretty comfortable with those but like horror movie acting, like carrying a movie, like being the the quote protagonist, mm-hmm. like uh, ho- like holding up the production on your shoulders. No, uh, I I didn't see that. I know. Um, yeah, but uh, all this business about the uh, quote elevated horror stuff, like it follows and Hereditary and her favorite, the bab the Babadook. Um, that's that's like the core thesis of the movie, um, is that. Uh, spoiler alert our our killers end up being people who are not terribly interested in those films they're fanatics of the meta slasher franchise that's native to the scream franchise stab which is an in turn an adaptation of the events of the scream franchise (laughs) so toxic fan bases are are kind of one of the core themes of the movie um and i don't know the the sense of uh entitlement and ownership that some of those personalities maintain over over properties that technically don't belong to them nor do they owe them anything um but from their perspective it's like um the the franchise has gone astray and i something has to be done uh, i need to intercede i need to i need to force the evo- the proper evolution of the property going forward um that's that's the motivation of our killers who like this conversation is almost like imagine somebody is shitting on the thing that you love Mm -hmm. and imagine that you love that thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) but but that's like part of how i interpreted the conversation is is that this this youngster this teenage girl is shitting on this person like not knowing that they're they're talking about the thing that they hold most dear Mm. um and and calling it inferior to the cur- the trends of like current day horror films um i would never say it's inferior like I, I would never say that it's just like 
it's just your taste. That's just what you like. That's totally fine. It's not. I don't think mine's better than yours. And there's nothing. There's nothing better than being a toxic fan um, as a part of a, a toxic fan base. Yeah, that's that's really something to aspire to. Uh, really, kids out there, you should you should do that. Um, do you think are they saying that because it's called elevated horror, that it was just low hanging fruit? It was easy to attack, or do you do you think that people think that that's what people mean by elevated horror, meaning it's better than all other all others? Well, I mean, I I didn't quote them or anything, but I seem to remember uh, this Jenna Ortega, this Terra character, saying like that's that's old hat or it's it's. It's tired. It's it's washed up. It's 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 boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, is kind of how she was referring to the slasher genre or the stab films in particular. Um, and I, I think of I can't help but think of like music uh, when it comes to stuff like this, where it's like music is one of those things. If you if you look up a piece of music or an album on Wikipedia or something, and you try to you try to look at the genre classification for that. Mm-hmm. There's going to be 20 or 30 words that I personally won't know, um, but somebody out there will because there are there are phylums and and subphylums and, <laughs> and genus and uh, families like like it goes on and on. There's so many subcategories of everything these days. The internet has made us obsessed with classifications of things. So when it comes to like the distinction between like an elevated horror and a slasher film part of what makes that complicated is that a slasher film will eventually be a quote elevated horror film we just haven't gotten one yet as far as i know strangers uh, i mean if i don't even know what you call that one i'm sure someone on the internet would know what the classification for that one would be but i do want to say that they're like among certain circles there probably is some classism between like horror enthusiasts or just genre enthusiasts where it's like slasher is thought of as like lowbrow and unsophisticated and then like more psychological oriented things are considered like just high art by comparison. Yeah. It'd be hard to describe funny games. Like how would you just, how would you, how would you label that? I'm like, it's not a slasher. It's something else. It's psychological horror. I would say, but I have the same issue with describing the music I listen to. Like, oh, what kind of music do you listen to? I'm like, fuck, I hate when people ask me. I'm like, you're not going to get it. <laughs> I'm going to explain it to you. You're not going to get it. It's probably better to just rattle off band yeah. names. And if That's... they don't know them, then they have to be okay with it. Then they're never going to listen to them. I can tell you that much. Exactly. It's yeah. like, then, then you know, look it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, the conclusion of this scene was what I wanted to ask about next was uh, in your Scream experience... Is this the most graphic one? Mm, in terms of violence? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I'm probably not recollecting correctly, but this opening quote kill, because it's not actually a kill. No, which it's is not. Feel, feel, feels very strange to me. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the circumstances, uh, but this opening sequence is particularly brutal. Uh, among the Scream franchise, as far as I know. Yeah, because the opening scene is brutal. The rest of the kills, like, there's one in particular, Frosted Flakes, when he gets it, uh, he gets it on the side of the neck, and I'm just like, he might even be okay. Like, I don't even know if he hit a major artery. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was my thought, too. Uh, that was very frustrating to me. I was yeah. like, he might be okay. He could get better from that. <laughs> one of the weirdest things I've seen. I kind of had a problem with this actress, because... Generally, it's like a 30-year-old person playing high schoolers with these movies. It's just generally how it goes. 
But this girl looks young. Like, when she comes on the screen, I'm like, she looks like she's like 15. She gets terrorized twice in this movie. I'm like, I, I kind of feel bad about watching this. I'm like, this is kind of shitty. Well, she's a she's a Disney kid. Yeah. Um. So she's she's probably gonna win an Oscar in like three years or something. <laughs> uh, the, the Disney kids are built different. <laughs> so, like yeah, the, no joke, man. Yeah, the mouse isn't fucking around with with low tier talent. Like yeah, no, the, the mouse takes the the top, the creme de la creme. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, go ask Zendaya. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, no shit. She, she, she's doing okay. Yeah, she's going to be, say the least. she's going to be fine. Is she just, yeah. you know, if she just honors her contract and does not break it at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> uh, this, yeah, I felt bad for this poor girl, but um, we were watching, I'm like, this is, she just seems too young to be terrorized by a slasher. Like, this is a different movie, guys. This is, it felt, it, it was taking on a different tone. But the rest of the movie kind of fluffs it out a bit. It's like, hey, we're not killing kids here. It's okay. Well, I'm, I'm really... That's actually... I didn't... My brain didn't go there. Like, I wasn't... I was like, it's a fucking movie. Like, yeah. And, and the, the victims in slasher movies, even if the actors portraying them, like you said, are in their 30s, like like a Drew Barrymore, who... I don't, even, I don't know if she was 30 in the opening of the first one, but she was marketed as the biggest name star in that movie. Um mm-hmm. Like, point is, victims in slasher movies, regardless of who is playing with them, generally are teens. So my my brain didn't really go there. But I do want to say, from a thematic standpoint, that actually holds up pretty well because there's a there's a generational conflict um, as part of the story in this film, mm-hmm. um, where we have basically people who are are, fran- are fans of a a long standing film franchise um, that there's like a, a there's a, a schism in the fan base as far as i can tell where there's the people who want it to be as it was and then there's the people who are fine with it continuing as it as it will be um which again brings us back to that meta commentary theme of like they put the the biggest of fucking floppy hats on it during a, a monologue sequence that the one character M- mindy has uh, towards the middle of the film where they actually directly reference star wars um, which is something that I think has come up uh, this month, Kyle, uh, when we were talking about, was it uh, The Batman? Mm-hmm. We were talking about Matt Reeves as The Batman. Um, apparently, Ryan Johnson was actually, actually asked to be in this film. Um, he was actually asked to have a cameo, because that's actually a, a really big part of the Scream franchise, is, is celebrity cameos used to be all over this thing. Like, still kind of are in this fifth in this fifth film, but like, at the heights of the franchise like in the second and the third one man some of the faces we got to be in these movies is pretty incredible actually i remember henry henry winkler was in the first one as the principal yes yes uh, uh, but that that was like that was minor like uh, like we would go on to have other cast members of friends in there and stuff drew barrymore was 30 or 31 uh during this first screen movie oh no tw- sorry okay. tw- i did my math wrong <laughs> awesome <laughs> She was like twenty or twenty-one. Okay, that can't be, that can't be right. Hang on, keep going. <laughs> good show, good show. Um, where was I? Uh, oh yeah, generational conflict. So yeah, I I do think it's interesting that we we have our initial victim as a teen, like literally a teenager, because as far as I know, she's like nineteen. She's right like now, eighteen. She's like eighteen years old. Like she was a. She was like 18 when this was filmed. I'm sorry, she, at, Drew Barrymore was At the, was, at was the time 20. of filming. Drew Barrymore was 21 when she did that movie. Sorry. 
Okay, we got an answer to that. Awesome. There we go. Yeah, Jenna Ortega was probably 18 when they filmed this. Yeah. Um, and it, I think that's appropriate given that the the people or one of the people who has one of the people who's doing the killings in this film is considerably older than that. Um, and just from a, a visual standpoint, yeah, that's what I imagine a lot of those arguments look like is yeah. is a big a big white dude yelling at a small boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um Yeah, so what, Miss Jackson? Oh yeah. You want to meet the sister who's uh pill popping outside of a bowling alley and is dating oh. a guy who's in his thirties that works in a bowling alley? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is a Modesto, California, but yeah, we're introduced to Sam and Richie, uh, who is, uh, Jack Quaid, uh, plays Richie. I've just been calling um, him Jack Quaid in my notes, yeah. I mean, it, it's that kind of name, Jack Quaid. <laughs> Actually, um, um, I'm going, I was talking to Steph yesterday, and I'm like, I'm going Jack Quaid over, uh, Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Russell, as far as nepotism goes. And she's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Because <laughs> uh, because uh, who whose son is he? Jack Quaid. Yeah, is he Dennis or or yeah? Which, De- which come on, man? Do you think any of Randy Quaid's kids? <laughs> do you there's think Randy Quaid's one. kids have got it together enough to be in movies? Come on, man. That is. I mean, there's home more life. than one Bridges. Yeah. Like, it's not just Jeff. There's it's, also Bo. It's yeah. It's it's Dennis. <laughs> it's definitely Dennis. Uh, Dennis and Baker. It's Meg not Ryan. just Alec. There's yeah. also Daniel and yeah. Stephen and yeah. Billy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, this is so he's Dennis Quaid's son. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I was saying I like him better than Wyatt Russell uh, as far as you know nepotism is concerned. But I actually really like Jack Quaid. He's in The Boys, which I'm watching right now, uh, and I don't think he's bad. This movie, he has an awesome uh, line in this movie that I saved as a soundbite, which unfortunately I won't be able to use this time. But God damn it, it's a great delivery. We'll get to no, it. No, I actually was very impressed with him. I have I have not seen him in anything. He he did appear on Red Letter Media uh, oh, nice. a while back. He's really good at balancing like kind of goofy funny, but at the same time he can he has like a dark side. He looks like he has like a dark side to him. Like he could be like a secret serial killer or something. Well, there's a reason he was cast yeah. in this film. Yeah, for <laughs> um, sure. But yeah, I was impressed. I I liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny though because when I look at his face, like. He looks like a, a thinned out Rain Wilson. Thank you. I was about to say he looks like Dwight Schrute. He looks like Dwight Schrute. He looks like he could like be his 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 facial structure is very similar. If they did like just one season of a Dwight K. Schrute origin story and had him play it, oh gosh, that would be great. I mean, they have what that young Sheldon Get show. Up. Yeah. It just... <laughs> All, I mean, do you know how that. many people's entire sense of humor is based off of references to The Office? There yeah, will be a spinoff, Kyle. It's too late for that. We they're not spinning. There will be a spinoff, Kyle. Show has been gone. That show's been. It's too long gone. Do you uh, know when the last? Do you remember when Scream Four came out, Kyle? No, it's 2011, sir. Mm. 2011. 11 years. There will be a spinoff to The Office. I will eat Believe my, it. I will eat my shoe when there's a spinoff to The Office. Well, and you unlike have a camera handy. Unlike <laughs> Werner Herzog, I will not actually eat it. Um, yeah, so <laughs> she takes the news. She gets a phone call about her sister being in the hot... Like, think Olivia Munn getting this phone call in a movie. And you're like, okay, yeah, all right. 
So my sister was stabbed and like she's a little emotional about it at first, but like she's joking and shit on the car ride over there. Like she's taking this really well. And Steph was like, well, maybe she's not that close with her. I'm like close enough to call her. I think that, yeah, I think she would be a little bit more upset about this. Yeah. Uh, so are we going to proceed linearly? You think through this story here? I mean, I'm kind of jumping from, from scene to scene. I'll, 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 I'll let you guide us. Okay. I'll, I'll only pump the brakes when it's especially necessary. But yeah. I will point out that uh, the person who calls a Sam is a Wes, uh, who is, of course, probably named after Wes Craven, mm. uh, who the film is dedicated to, and rightfully so, uh, because he directed all four of the other ones, um, and he only didn't do this one because he unfortunately passed away. Um, speaking of which, this uh, this film was directed by a collective of directors, two out of three directors from a collective called Radio Silence. Um, and the two from that unit uh, who directed this film are Matt Bettinelli-Olpen and Tyler Gillette. Or Gillette, Gillette, yeah. Thanks, Gillette. Um, this, uh, this group of directors has also given us several other horror films with, with a touch of humor to them. They were involved in the VHS film from 2012, uh, Devil's Due. Um, and Ready or Not, I know, was kind of a high-profile one as well. I watched uh, about 15 minutes of Southbound, and I couldn't get into it. And I think it's a, a anthology. I think it's like three stories, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the VHS films are anthologies as well, so they probably gotcha. didn't direct all of the sequences, but they uh, definitely were involved to some extent. But yeah. um, I'm just pausing for a second to spotlight them because one, we didn't mention it. And two, uh, Kevin Williamson mm. uh, is the writer of almost all of the Scream films, but not this one. Oh. Um, and and also apparently he only submitted an outline for the third one, which as far as I understand was a little bit of a troubled production. Mm. Like I heard some, I heard some shit about that one where they were like, building the sets while they were filming them like Ooh. while they were filming on them and i was like i what? mean low budget filmmaking man you're like welcome to the party <laughs> like this is how we do things um but yeah kevin williamson in in lieu of west craven has kind of i guess stepped into the role of shepherd of the franchise to some extent because he's like an executive producer on this film um but he did not write this film um, which is very important to note because the writing is often something that's praiseworthy in a lot of these Scream films. As I said, the third one is the dip in quality, and it's also the one that didn't have him, didn't have his pen uh, at the helm. Um, <laughs> Kyle, what's up? I was laughing. Oh, yeah, I hear uh, Miramax got really hands-on, really pinned in uh, Kevin Williamson. How could that go wrong? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, so we've, what do we got here? We got Pill Poppin'. Homegirl sister was uh, da, da, da. I have meta nonsense with a group of future victims. So they're all visiting her in the hospital. The girl, she does not fit in with this group because she is noticeably too young to be hanging out with these people. And I double checked because again, this girl is about eighteen years old. And we're looking at the other cast. I'm like, they're in their late twenties. Like this, like it didn't make sense. I'm like, is it one of their little sisters? I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because it's her younger sister. So the dynamic of the group, of the characters in this group with the sister, I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. Did you catch like why was there so many issues? Uh, it's just purely casting. They're all supposed to be going to the same school together. Um, Sam's the only one. Who's, Sam and Richie are the only two who are supposed to be older. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> yeah, they're they're supposed to be the same age, but yes, Jenna Ortega is one of those actresses who is both young and looks young, mm-hmm. um, such that she does visually stand out quite a bit from the rest of the group. You're yeah. you're absolutely on on the money with that, Kyle. You're absolutely right. No one in this room looks even close to her age, but no. they're all supposed to be classmates. So you may have named these people. I don't name them because they're all going to die. Um, <laughs> so we have the frosted hair guy I called Frosted Flakes. Uh, we got the handsome guy, the buff guy, who's very charismatic, and I kind of like... He had some kind of funny scenes. Um, he dies. He uh, uh, no, actually, he doesn't. Almost dies. Yeah. Kind of dies. And very uh, few of these people die. <laughs> yeah. uh, pink hair. I have no idea where she goes. Uh, does she get shot in the head, I think? She does. Okay. Uh, and then we... Keep keep this trend going, Kyle. I want to hear what who these people are in your eyes and what, the, what happens to them. <laughs> buff guy's sister... Uh, and she, I think it's, I thought she was, she gets stabbed quite a bit, but I thought maybe it was a fake out. I thought maybe she was the third person, a part of it. Um, but that wouldn't make sense because her brother ends up dying. So that, it rules that out. And then, uh, the last, but certainly not least is Sadie, who is set on fire a second time that I've seen her on screen. Yes. Uh, that was, uh. That again, that's some meta shit right there. Yeah. Actually, that see that that that's, smile on that's your face. good there. meta. That's how you, that's how you do that. Yeah, that that is excellent meta. If you yes. ask me, yeah. it's like if, if if you're going to cast that woman, and and we all know where we've seen her before, and we all know what she's done in her filmography. It's like if you're gonna if you're going to kill that woman in this film. Do it that way. Yeah, it's like yes, that's good. Made a shit. Leatherface should have exploded uh, the sheriff in uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That would have been meta too. You, you and I were the only two that would have gotten it because yeah, or somebody needed to call him an asshole. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that that's how you do that. Um, I mean, yeah. just you were always an asshole, sheriff. Yeah, you were always <laughs> so, an asshole. It's so simple, and we would yeah. have we would have loved it. Yeah, uh, see, that's that's good subtle meta shit. That only only the people who know will know, but they'll appreciate it. Yeah, they clear out. The rest of the kids clear out, and then the sisters have an awkward talk that I couldn't look at because it's done horribly. Um, is there anything you wanted to glean from this conversation? Because they're they're uh, ne- they're next in the bed conversation is the one of significance. This one I didn't get much out of. Yeah, so a couple things. Um, when Sam and Richie are in the car uh, driving to the hospital to visit Tara, uh, one, the audio in that car is shit. <laughs> you <laughs> mean you can hear the other cars passing? <laughs> uh, just like her, she's obviously dubbed. Like ah. him less, uh, him less noticeably so, but her, it's like there, there's like a weird like, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's the booth. Yeah. She's in a booth right now. <laughs> <laughs> How do you fuck that up? <laughs> Uh, she's, I don't know. Maybe they couldn't get her into the booth. Maybe she recorded it on her iPhone or something. But um, uh, other thing I want to point out, um, this is this is actually like the moment where I decided I I knew who who done it. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Kyle, do you, do you know precisely when you made your guess, or were you did you not commit to one at any point? I I was strongly suspicious after the hospital scene. I'm like, interesting. Somebody got slashed right there, but we didn't we didn't follow up with them. Hmm. I'm 
guessing it's probably that person. See, there's precedent for exactly that in the franchise. Yeah. Um, that That's happened before. In, in fact, in the previous movie, if memory serves. Yeah. Um, like, the main killer in that one had a superficial arm wound, um, as far as I remember. Well, um, well, I was ex- to, to, like, mask their involvement, essentially. I was explaining to Steph, because she was missing a piece, because she's never seen any of the Scream movies, and she was watching it with me. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. There's two killers. And but she's like, yeah, but he got slashed on the arm, so it can't be him. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. There's, there's more to it than that because uh, another thing is that they will they the two killers from the first movie stabbed each other to make it look like they were also victims. She's like, oh, I'm like yeah. There's, there's a lot to, lot to play here. So, yeah. You know, part of me wants to say this movie could play better to people who don't know this franchise. Yeah. Actually, yeah. If you've like, never, I could, I could totally see that. And actually, that's really important to note because that's largely why this movie was probably made. Is like one. Like, let's let's not let's not you know beat around the bush with this. Um, I mean, the whole reason you make it is to make money, obviously. But yeah. the reason you make it this way is so you can draw in every possible audience. You can get the old hats, you can get the slasher heads mm-hmm. who've been a part of the franchise since the '90s, and then you can get the new. You get their kids. It's about your kids, Marty. Yeah, it's your kids, Marty. <laughs> that that's the secret. That's the secret sauce that goes into virtually every franchise films these days mom and dad know how it's going to end but the kids like well what it could be that person you can just kind of sit back and let them guess as to who's doing it that's kind of fun well and also mom and dad want to introduce the property Mm -hmm. to the next generation and how better to do it than to just go see it as a family or whatever and it's a bit more wholesome because correct me if i'm wrong this isn't a nudity franchise this is not a this is not a franchise that uses nudity as a crutch yeah no no, uh, absolutely not. Um, there's too many quality actors in it to, to get that. <laughs> that is, I feel like it, it's joked around a lot, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's Friday the 13th. That's the nudity franchise because Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't really deal with the boobs. Not a whole lot, no. No. Um, in fact, it's used mostly for horror. Yeah. Um, the uh, the third one, the Dream Warriors, has a, a nightmare nurse in there that has a Freddy head. And that is some nightmare fuel, yeah. <laughs> because she is topless while having a, Mar- a Freddy Krueger visage. <laughs> oh, but what does JQ say here that that tipped you off that he was the killer? Oh, um, so she is uh, Sam is explaining to him uh, about what happened in Woodsboro before, um, which is this the events of this mm. film take place in the same town as the first film. That's, that was my bad. I should have specified that at the top in the actual plot. That's included um, with, it's the exact same thing as the first one, meaning that <laughs> it's in the same town, and the third act is in the same house as the first one. Yes. Um, that's okay. But um, And she also starts talking about the Stab film franchise that was spawned from Gail Weathers' book about the events that she was involved with in, in the first Scream film, um, which is since in the in the universe of the scream films like exploded into like a, I think it's a eight plus movie long franchise that persists to this day. Um, and Richie is saying, I don't, he, he claims to not know those movies, but he also like, he, he claims to not know those movies, but he compares it to other slasher films very readily. So like he tosses out like oh it sounds like Halloween or oh it sounds like Friday the Thirteenth it's like so you you know those ones but you don't know that one and you're how old JQ you're my age and you've never heard of Scream I would call bullshit immediately 
exactly oh, but that that's where i kind of committed to him where i was like he's referencing a lot of slasher movies while pretending to be totally ignorant to an entire franchise that mm. seems sus to me as the kids would say <laughs> um but yeah now we get the pool hall chat and we get like some are 17 year olds allowed in pool halls Kyle? no they're not Unless you're going in to pick up, <laughs> unless you're going in to pick up fish and chips for your drunk dad who shot at you earlier, um, yeah, you're not going into a pool hall. Um, but yeah, they're having the again meta chat about who is who one of the suspects could be, which again was just so fucking. Then they then they're referring to themselves as the suspects throughout the film, and then they're calling each other a suspect for things they're doing. It's well, they, they did that in the other scream films. It, that's not changing my frustration with it. <laughs> that's, just, that's fine. That's fine. I'm that's just, just playing it out. That's just not something that I, I recall from the well, first. But movie. Kyle, like maybe for your your soundboard, which we will, we promise, get up and running eventually. Yeah. I, I mean, you have to get everyone's a suspect. Yeah. Everybody's a suspect. I, I got. It's your, one of the best trailer lines ever. I already got. I already got one for you that you requested. So that that is on deck. Uh, then we get this. Which I was really happy about. Um, this guy's pretty greasy, and I'm like, this guy kind of looks like a white supremacist, like slow key. <laughs> like, like hey, he doesn't seem like a great guy. Um, but I don't know what this thing. Does he come up and just kind of like hit on one of the girls in front of the other guys? Man, Kyle, you really weren't paying attention. <laughs> I couldn't hear it. Full disclosure: my my partner is a movie talker, so sometimes ah, I ah, miss ah. things. Well. But she did participate in like half of the fun of a scream film, which is the whodunit aspect, yeah, of right? She can't not. Great, you can't, you can't not. See that—that's the fun of it, then. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you don't need every little detail. It helps if you're trying to actually solve the fucking puzzle. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> so, I'm like, um, I'm like, I'm not too concerned. I'm like, trust me, it's gonna work itself out. They'll let us know who the killer is at the end. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> no, the, it'll just like. Do a Sopranos on you, just just end. It'll just end. What? Yeah. yeah. So this is Kevin, um, who is introduced to the the narrative um, when we're having the the like the I don't know the chat at the high school. So all all of Tara's friends are sitting around talking about her in the hospital. She's not dead. She's only very 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 badly wounded. As far as I understand, in order for the plot to advance she had to be alive but the like the wounds she sustained it's like dude there's a very good chance she would not have survived yeah that. she gets like, stabbed in the stomach in the back and she gets her ankle crushed uh that, by... that part was tasty by the way it was all pretty uh, good I, yeah it, it was all pretty good but um that sequence in the opening concludes with uh police sirens rolling up to the house yes and uh we cut to the title um, but one of them mentions offhand uh, she was stabbed a total of seven times, which is more than what we saw. And she's she's trucking along like she's not dead. But like what I'm saying is I'm pretty sure the plot required her to stay alive. But it's like whoever was instrumental in, in, in getting her into that hospital bed, you went a little too far <laughs> because yeah. there's a very good chance you would have killed her. But um, the Kevin character, the white supremacist, as Kyle described him. Um, the one, the the gal with the pink hair, Liv, mm, um, yeah, apparently went out with him for a while. She's now with uh, Mindy's brother, the the football star. Yeah. 
um, this further supports my white supremacist theory. Yeah, they have a confrontation. Yeah, um, but she's she's now with with uh, the football star uh, who is Mindy's brother, as I said, and uh, Liv mentions that the Kevin guy keeps like lingering. Like, he's semi-stalking her. So it's mm-hmm. like, early on, I guess we're supposed to be maybe suspicious of him. It's like, it's not him. It's not him, guys. <laughs> it's definitely somebody. It's somebody in that room, but it's not him. Yeah, something smells fishy. Oh, wait, that's a red herring. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he rolls up on them in the pool hall. And actually, he doesn't do anything. He's just looking at her. And then her guy, uh, the, big, the big jock fella, has to walk, like, steps to him. Um, and they they have words, and a knife is drawn by by Kevin. Yeah. Like, guess guess who pulls the knife? Again, <laughs> if you had to guess, maybe the guy who's a head shorter. <laughs> I can almost rest my theory. I can I think I can rest my case on his is a white supremacist. Uh, yeah, but he's staring at her like open mouth, rubbing his boner through the jeans. Like it's pretty yeah. obnoxious. Like it's pretty gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he gets he go he leaves the bar and he goes outside to piss and. He's pissing on the wall. This was kind of funny. I had a chuckle at this um, because the mute, the music again. Is it diegetic? Where we're both hearing it, like the character. I think I think that's how it is. I think non-diegetic is when it's it's music that's playing outside of the narrative. And it's something I do like in movies when we kind of toy with this. It's like you think that we're not actually listening, like the character's not hearing it, but they actually are. It's I, it every time I see it, I'm like, oh, it was creative if it's done well. Uh, but he goes yeah. outside to piss, and somebody turns on their headlights, and then I hear, I have to describe it as the song from Dumb and Dumber, when ha- when Lloyd is down- going down the street getting the essentials, which is beer. Um, and I was laughing, because I'm like, is he listening to the Dumb and Dumber soundtrack? <laughs> because that would have been kind of funny. Because that was, I remember previews for that movie, and I remember that that soundtrack was like, that was a legit soundtrack. And it actually is a pretty well, good soundtrack. He does look like the kind of person that would put that film on a pedestal as being very important <laughs> to his upbringing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, if you but, want to go for all-time creeps, Lloyd Lloyd Christmas is up there as far as creeps go. Uh, yeah, uh, he failed to read the room. Yeah. Uh, and then some. Uh, and it resulted in a, a, a whole grand adventure, but... Um, <laughs> it is, it is a fantastic movie. for that adventure. It is a fantastic movie. I miss that brand of comedy. Yeah. Comedy, comedy needs to needs to find that sweet spot of being like dumb and irreverent, but not like too dumb. Because like I think we've gotten to a, a space where a lot of comedy is a little too dumb. Yeah, we're like late. Or or the other end of it that irritates me even more than too dumb is uh, when we try to have it both ways, where we try to tell like a a big emotional story where characters spill their guts to each other and lessons are learned. But it's also supposed to be a comedy. It's like no. So you, why can't every movie like why can't every movie be Wayne's World? <laughs> so it's like we need more Farley Brothers, less Judd Apatow. Yeah, I, I mean the comparison that always comes to mind for me personally, and probably you too, is a uh, more Seinfeld, less Friends. Yeah, like I don't, I, don't, I don't want I don't want Ross and Rachel. I want Jerry with the new girl every week <laughs> and not giving a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're too funny you're too funny jerry you gotta you gotta dumb it down yeah yeah <laughs> uh but um, yeah 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 yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, i did want to point out that uh, song is actually part of the scream franchise as well oh really um yeah it was it was in the first film 
that makes maybe sense. even some of the other ones as well but uh west craven again not an expert check out movies for life they will teach you everything wow. you need to know about west craven but he uh he, he like a lot of directors he seems to have a relationship to music that it it seems to be fairly important to his films and uh yeah the song i forget who does it it's called called red right hand yeah i'm pretty sure if anybody out there is a peaky blinders fan or if you've seen a season of peaky blinders you hate that fucking song uh because it is the it is the opening theme for that move for that show and it will come up throughout the series and there'll be different iterations of it but yes that is the uh that is the opening song red right hand vince uh gets poked in the neck by the way yeah um it's actually we don't see how he actually dies. Like he goes down from the jab in the neck, which I liked, but you know, no, I'm, I'm, we, also, I'm here for I'm here for kills, man. Like, can you just give me that? That's your Adams family blood squirt. That's it right there. Like, <laughs> like make it obnoxious. Cover the cover the like Evil Dead that car with this person's blood because he's a creep and he just pulled a knife out on a guy in a bar. Um, not classy. Um, so I think we get back to the hospital and we're kind of visiting with the sister and I kind of got a kick out of this where, um, uh, JQ is watching stab on Netflix, which is super shitty. (laughs) Maybe don't watch a slasher movie with your girlfriend's younger sister who was just terrorized by a slasher. Yeah. uh, He says he's doing research like, because if, I mean, all the other killings in this town, played out in this fashion where somebody was imitating something else aside from the the first murders and whatnot but so he's doing research is what he says but yeah he has his his stupid fucking uh ear pods in and he's watching it on like a a tablet in his lap in the hospital (laughs) he looks like a total asshole (laughs) yes sam Sam is a sam uh, goes to take some pills though and we did see that she was taking those the, the very instant she was introduced to us as a character and I'm curious what you thought of this subplot, Kyle, because I found it troubling. <laughs> yeah, I just completely ignored it. Um, what did you watch this by yourself? Did you did you watch this with a girlfriend while you were watching? No, if I was watching something with a girlfriend, it would be Aliens, which nah. explains why we haven't watched anything in months. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Still waiting on that. Still working on that. Uh, but yes, so I was watching this with Steph, obviously, and. Uh, she was like, what? And I said, Skeet! She's like, what's Skeet? And I'm like, Skeet Ulrich is that guy right there. Uh, and I was like, is that that's Skeet Ulrich? Yeah, I like to confirm. I'm like, that's him. I'm like, oh, that's her dad. That was her dad. I'm like, but well, that doesn't make any goddamn sense, though, because he died uh, before she was born, I'm assuming. Uh, so she has no idea what he looks like, but she sees him wearing exactly what he wore the night he died interesting yeah i thought this was really stupid but uh so at minute 53 steph (laughs) thinks that uh sam is subconsciously killing these people like that she's got like a like a split personality kind of thing or like she's blacking out and killing these people i'm like that's that's how you could have flipped this franchise like this is how you could have flipped it for the fifth screen movie it's like oh you think it's somebody in the group or the boyfriend well that's exactly who it is in this movie but wouldn't it be interesting if it's the daughter of Skeet Ulrich who's going crazy and she ends up like trying to kill her younger sisters, but she doesn't actually kill her younger sister, like, that's that would be what I was expecting. Yeah, I I wasn't expecting it. I think, I mean, to to bring it all all back to Star Wars, which is 
again, why this movie probably exists, honestly. Um, you save that for the next one. Yeah. Like so, follow, follow the logic, Kyle. So I'm with you. this movie explicitly references Star Wars. Like they they name drop it. I believe because you. that because that's exactly what they're doing here. The the they they call it like a a, a requel, uh, oh, a legacy, yeah. a legacy sequel. Um, so roll it back to what 2017 when we had J.J. Abrams taking a swing at the Star Wars franchise, bringing it back for the force awakens for brand new take on the franchise but in order to, in order to facilitate that in order to, to 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 lubricate the thing getting back on the track the way you facilitate that is you have a cast of new characters um but they need to be set up by the characters that we all know and love already mm-hmm. so it's like a it's like a passing of the torch procedure where the first film is purely foundational it's like we are setting the stage for original stories to come, but the first movie, all all you need to do is win win them back, like get get people on board, and then you can, like hopefully anyway, uh, have your way with it and and do what you will uh, going forward. Um, but as we saw with Star Wars and like the the whole meta commentary of this film. When they did that second chapter of Star Wars, when Ryan Johnson took his swing, he took it in a direction that not everybody was willing to follow, and the producers panicked to such an extent that they removed him from the franchise, brought Abrams back, and just did it safe. Did it safe and clean straight down the middle. Um, so, like, in reference to this film, Scream, it's like, that is an interesting idea, but it's too bold. You can't do that. Like, all we're doing here is bringing all the familiar faces back. We even kill one of them, just like we did in The Force Awakens. Um, and then next time out, maybe they'll do the, the Last Jedi type thing. Maybe they'll do that, where it's like, hey, we did kind of set things up if if we feel like making her the villain going forward. And seems like we're in a good position for it, considering how everybody seems to hate her as an actress, at least in this role maybe maybe go ahead and go with that but we, we don't know yet i do believe the franchise is planned to continue on from here but um yeah this is this is a, a weird turn that the narrative takes where she's taking these antipsychotics and she has visions of her dad the way he was when he died when she didn't know him because he apparently died before she was born but it, it i will say this much it was kind of neat seeing skeet Ulrich. yeah <laughs> um, he was very excited to be back and working. Uh, oh, he pi- he picked up that phone on the first ring. Yeah. <laughs> he probably cried a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely. Skeet, do. O- Skeet Ulrich has a landline. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, he, yeah, he probably does. Um, yeah, but chill yeah, fa- chill factors. Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's see. Well, he's uh, he's still doing stuff. He's on a show. Oh, he's on Riverdale. Okay, yeah, he's doing fine. Oh, he's doing stuff. He's oh, still- he's he's. Uh, it's funny from an aesthetic standpoint that that show looks like this movie. I <laughs> I don't think that's on accident. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely not. Um, but yeah, Ghostface pops up real quick to say hi, uh, and tries to do a stabbing on Sam, but then leaves, and then the cops come up, and then this is also we're kind of raising questions about. Could it possibly be Jack Quaid because he was just in there watching Stab 
but can anybody attest for that? And we're getting some more of like the victim blaming, or not victim blaming, yeah. uh, suspect blaming. This was around the time I I just I put my foot down and I was like I I think I know who I'm going with for the other killer. So Jack Quaid, Jack Quaid. I decided during that car conversation, I was like, it's him. And then the other one, Amber. Uh, she uh, I decided here because I she had a bruise on her collarbone. Yeah. She like she covers it during the conversation. Also, when she's introduced to Sam, she's mean mugging her really bad. Yeah. Like, the camera lingers on it for a second. Uh, like the Sam's connection to all the other teenagers is that apparently she babysat them or something. Yeah, okay. But Amber like shoots her a dirty fucking look during that introduction. I was like, oh, it's probably her. And then when I saw the bruise, I was like, oh, you probably should have put that in the movie. <laughs> like that very poor choice of visuals. <laughs> yeah, everyone else is like, yeah, Sam's coming back to visit, and Amber's like, Sam's a bitch. Gosh, and it's like, what? Like, what? Almost verbatim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? She just is. I'm like, okay, you're probably one of the killers. Um, uh, yeah. Then we get this sad sack shit story about like. Her mom, so the two girls, so we've got, she found out that the guy that was raising her was not her actual dad, correct? Yeah. Okay. So she told her mom, I, I'm get, you might have to tell this because I just recently watched, uh, uh, God damn it, uh, uh, Gerard Carmichael, uh, his newest, he has a, a new, it's not technically a stand-up special, but he's a stand-up comedian. And I'm getting these two stories mixed together because he has a story kind of similar to this about his own family. Um, so I, I actually can't remember the details because I'm now mixing the two up. So please, you tell the story. Okay, so Sam, <clears throat> I'm, I'm guessing this actress like has it written into her contract or something. It's like, if I'm going to be in a movie, I, I must have a, a soliloquy or something where I just like emote for three minutes or something. Yeah. Um, it's not a soliloquy, but she sits down to talk to her sister uh who's in the hospital bed and she explains to her what what the fuck is going on so she found her mother's diaries when she was about 13 years old turns out her dad wasn't her actual biological father it was just some guy who was with her mom who was raising her um and she confronted her own mother with these diaries which indicate that uh billy loomis uh (laughs) loomis yeah uh, a.k.a. Skeet Ulrich, was her biological father. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's confronting her mother about this when she's 13, and then her her dad, the person who's been raising her, walks into the room and overhears it, and apparently throws a a shit fit and leaves. Mm -hmm. He abandons the family. Yeah. Steph asked me what I would do in this situation. I'm like, I think I need a cooling off period, but I'm not abandoning the family. I would take a walk, but... I'm coming back. I mean, I got all my stuff there. I mean, I might need I might need a weekend just to kind of like I mean, because yeah, that's a yeah. lot to take, a lot to process. Like that's so you you banged a serial killer. Yeah. When was he? When did he have a side chick? Like when did that happen? Or yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I don't know. Anyway, but point is the the trauma of this event was such that Dad left the family. Yeah. Um, and Sam quote did every drug that she could get her hands on so like, that is some shit ass writing right there so like that, so, that's a quote some molly and percocet that her fucking pot dealer gave her wow just uh, drug just 
it's vaguely true. drugs. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, get your hands on. That uh, doesn't mean you... And t- then her, her sister rightly tells her, get right the fuck out. <laughs> By the way, she's a good screamer. Uh, this Jenna Ortega. She said, she's like, get out! And it's like, yes, ma'am. Goodbye. I was think I was thinking Amber. I think that actress is a really good screamer because her whole thing at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is she is screaming for like five minutes, and then when she's screaming later, I'm like, ah, that's I think that's why she's in here. Yeah, she. I mean, her look too. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has she has a very good look for a character of a specific energy type. Yeah. Um, uh, that I have in my notes meta shit because it's more meta shit happening here. I'm not sure which of the shit it is, but it's it's meta from my notes. Duh, they go to the trailer park and they meet Deputy Dewe. Yeah, Deputy Doofy, uh, Officer Doofy. Deputy Dewe. Uh, oh, <laughs> don't. Don't. That's what I hear every Please time. Please don't. Ah, oh, Deputy Dewe. Deputy Dewe. Deputy Dewe. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, get to the Wait. back of the boat. Oh, my God. I hate him so much. Uh, yeah, and did you notice that Officer Doofy has got his cup of coffee? And he's definitely pouring a little something in there. There's definitely a little bit of booze in there. Yeah, he, has, he hasn't done those dishes in a minute. <laughs> if, <laughs> yeah. if ever. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's just watching the news report. And I think he ends up calling Gale. Because I, ha- I guess that's who he gets a hold of. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Um, so David Arquette's introduced to the narrative. He's same same old character. He is badly hobbled because he has been stabbed like nine times over the course of four movies or whatever. Yeah. He, like I could be misremembering, but I want to say he they like they killed him. I think mm-hmm. in the second one and maybe even one of the other sequels. But they uh, they uh, Ian Malcolmed him. They mm-hmm. brought him back. Yeah. Like do you do you know do you get the reference? Yeah, because Ian Malcolm dies in the in the in the book but yeah, yeah exactly but he's so popular in the movie that's like well i mean we got to bring him back yeah. for the other book and yeah. make him the main character also of the book and the movie also we're gonna do like like four more of these movies after this so we have to we need him back because that's how we're yeah, gonna but, market the last fi- the five and six basically that's how we're gonna get people back yeah he's in like 120 seconds of the of that yeah, last he, one <laughs> yeah he's he's ba- it compared to like independence day resurgence he might as well be Patton in that movie like that's how yeah, he, much... he he spent more time on the set of an apartments.com commercial shoot than he did, <laughs> than he did on in Fallen kingdom <laughs> absolutely absolutely correct yes um but yeah they totally ian malcolm debit adue um, but it's kind of neat because we're introduced to him in that fun way where you just get to see him in his natural habitat in the trailer park and there's like a radio or the TV on and it's just nothing but Woodsboro murders, Woodsboro murders, all the stuff that he should care about. He doesn't he doesn't even pay attention. Like he, he tunes it out and instead he puts on uh, Gail Weathers, uh, Courtney Cox, and she has like a morning show or something. And then uh, the kids show up at his door. So that would be Sam and Richie. And uh, they, uh, he is instantly suspicious of, of Richie. Like yeah. instantly he's, he basically gives us the rundown of all uh, the that, other movies yeah yeah <laughs> he's just like he he spells out the rules of all the other scream movies and by extension most slasher movies and he's like rule one boyfriend is trouble and of course she doesn't listen and we the audience are like yeah that's probably him i almost <laughs> developed telekinesis i think from rolling my eyes i think if you if like at this point i'd rolled my eyes so many times that i could turn pages in a book with my with my eyes because this is like 
this is the like the most it happens in like one scene where he's just literally running down everything. Yeah, I, again, Kyle, this is this is every scream movie. Um, is it, but yeah, it is it all this bad? Is every single one of them exactly like this? No, okay. no. Usually, usually it's more organic and quite a bit more clever. Okay, um, this one's a little bit clunkier, and also, again, I want to say this is potentially a consequence of 2022 not not just the film but just the 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 culture the the age that we Mm. live in the internet age is that we had exactly one character to do all this this stuff uh in the other movies in the first movie and his name was randy it's a mindy's uh uncle um he was he was the horror nerd among that circle of friends oh god was that uh jamie kennedy yes I was holding it back, but yes, it was Jamie Kennedy. Um, he he was like the he was the voice of he was kind of the uh, audience proxy character in that first Scream movie. I were, um, it's coming back to me now. Thank you. Yeah. But the problem but the problem with a story set in 2022 where kids have access to streaming services and phones and Wikipedia and shit is that everybody talks like Randy now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a telephone tough guy, as uh, Joe Pesci would call them from Lethal Weapon. Man, he... Where it's like, it's not, you don't have to be just the slasher nerd to know this, to have this general knowledge of the tropes of the subgenre. Now it's just, it's just cultural osmosis now. That's amazing. He is such a cultural blind spot for me that every time I look back, I completely forget about him. I literally just watched a scene with him in that first screen movie. I completely forgot he was a part of those movies until I'm like, Randy, Randy. It all just came back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he means very little to me. I know he had like a he had like a stint on VH1 or something. Like he had a show and of course, Son of the Mask. That travesty, that cinematic travesty. He was the headliner of that one. Pawn, the um, pawn, the pa- pawn scum that is Malibu's most wanted. One of the most annoying films of all time. See, I don't know that one. Oh, you shouldn't but, watch it. Uh, it's pretty well, bad. <laughs> well, now I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you want to waste your time? You go ahead. Um, uh, but I did like that when uh, Dewey kicks them out. Richie has the comment. He's way more fun in the movies. <laughs> 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 because he is a grumpy old man in this one. Uh, I thought that was cute. Um, does Doofy call Cindy now? Yeah, he calls both Sydney and Gail. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls Sydney first, and we're introduced to her with the trailer shot where she's like running on a boardwalk, and she's got kids. Um, she says her husband's name is Mark, and I did like two seconds of digging, and I think uh, Patrick Dempsey oh. played a Mark in the fourth film. Okay. Or no, it's like the third film, I think. Um, so maybe she cooked up with McDreamy in be- in between the past two movies. Uh, we never meet him, but she's she married do- to a Mark and she's got kids. She could do a lot worse. Yeah, and Deputy Dewey tells her, like, be careful, there's someone stabbing people again. Um, and then we actually get kind of a cute moment where uh, he reaches out to Gail and he, because they had a prior relationship, uh, he sheepishly just sends her a couple of nervous texts instead of calling her like he did Sydney. It's 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 cute. Like it feels very honest, I guess, is is one way of looking at it. But by the way, Kyle, like something that you probably wouldn't notice, um maybe even because you haven't seen the movie, uh but Dewey's theme, um by the way, the score for uh the Scream franchise aside from this film was done by Marco Beltrami, 
who does a lot of mainstream like Hollywood horror movies, as well as uh, Die Hard 4 and um, uh, Terminator 3, which I know we both don't care a whole lot for. <laughs> um, I but, will die never um, watching that movie again. Um, but yeah, he, he does a lot of uh, mainstream horror scores. He did the scores for the Scream films. Great work, by the way. He did a very good job. But um, Tyler, uh, Brian Tyler, I think, did the score for this one, who I think of as doing like Rambo and the Expendables and Fast and Furious, like high-octane action films. Uh, but the uh, only thing I wanted to point out is that Dewey's theme throughout all the films is this like, guitar it's like this western guitar riff that i want i want to say it's lifted straight from broken arrow like like it sounds almost identical to john travolta's theme from broken arrow like i could be wrong but that's what my ears say i've always felt that way i've never done the research to see if anybody had if there's anything to be said about that but that's what my ears say (laughs) you know what i'm gonna say it is i think it is (laughs) okay i mean have you seen broken arrow vaguely yeah i i remember like i remember nothing from it but it has been on my tv screen before yes okay i mean if you've had cable at any point i'm sure yeah Yeah. (laughs) um anyway i do uh like that doofy is gonna he's gonna join up and help the kids and i like jack quaid as a funny line he's like just because that guy showered doesn't mean he should have a gun like it's pretty it's a pretty (laughs) funny joke I'm like, I'm with him. Yeah, yeah, he was drinking at breakfast. Maybe not the best thing to do. Um, but I'm not entirely... So I feel like it's kind of it kind of slogs through here because uh, I don't have a lot of notes. Um, I, again, have more meta crap. Ghost Dad. Well, that meta crap is one of the most important conversations oh, in the whole movie. Of, co- of course it is, Trevor. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> just, Please. I'm not I'm not going to derail us because we, we need to pick up some momentum at some point. Um, but this is where uh, Mindy, uh, this is where Mindy stands up. At, so we're, we gather at Mindy's house, like at which her one, mom's house. Which one's Mindy? Uh, that would be the brother and sister okay. pair. So okay. there's the jock and then there's Mindy, who's the, she's kind of the, uh, by the way, the actress's name is Jasmine Savoy Brown. And uh, Mason Gooding uh, plays her brother, Chad. Um, they are Randy's uh, niece and nephew. Um, so his his sister, who was in the other Scream films, is their mom. She stops by for a token cameo. Um, so they're sitting in their living room, and uh, we learn that Mindy has inherited uh, Randy's enthusiasm for slashers and horror movies in general. And uh, this is where Deputy Dewey is sitting down with... So, so all of our characters are in one room, and they're all going around the circle uh, talking about the situation in Woodsboro and what what the connection is between all the victims and like what the potential motive could be. And this is where the concept of requels and legacy equals are brought up by Mindy. And she actually hops up out of her seat and walks around the room explaining this concept to everybody in the room. And this is where she references Ryan Johnson, referring to him as the knives out guy. Um, I'm sure they wanted to just say his name, but he didn't allow them to. And that they even directly compare stab eight to star wars eight which just happens to be the last jedi um and yeah uh, this is where she says everything that i already have about how to begin a franchise anew like the the safest way we know how to do it now anyway the current climate is you take jamie lee curtis 
uh, from the Halloween franchise and you integrate her into a new cast of characters so she can prop them up and we can get the ball rolling uh, for both the legacy audience and their kids. Um, And so she's saying, basically, the situation we're currently in is somebody trying to enact that in real life, essentially. Somebody trying to to draw in the legacy players of of the real life scream murders, um, and and apply it to a like a, a new younger generation. Um, but anyway, that's all I had to say about that because I've already covered it. Okay. Um, yeah, more meta crap. Ghost dad again. Uh, and then I didn't realize that the sheriff is Frost and Flake's mom. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, Wes. Wes's mom is Sheriff Hicks. Uh, who, had, like like we said, is part of the cast of characters from movies prior. Yeah, uh, this this scene was getting on my on my nerves a little bit, not because it was clever, but because I'm like, this has kind of already been done in a more subtle way. But uh, yeah, Frosty Flakes is you know he's being raised by a single mom, and she's like, yeah, honey, I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go pick up some food. Uh, you go up there, get a shower, and then we'll we'll have dinner. He's like, you know, you can get a, you can just get Postmates, right? What was her excuse for wanting to go in instead of using Postmates? I don't even remember uh, that. There, she said something, uh, but yeah, he goes upstairs to take a shower. She gets a phone call, and guess what? It's Ghostface, and he's just like, hey, I'm probably gonna kill your kid, and she's like, still driving, and it's like she can tell right away this is not a good phone call, but she drives an extra five or six miles talking to this dude before she's like, oh shit, don't kill my kid and turns around to go get him. Um, meanwhile, he's in the shower and we're like, is he going to get it in the shower? No. Is it? Is the ghost face going to be behind this door? No. Is he going to be behind this door? No. I'm like, I've seen this done before. Like, this is, you're not getting me. This is just drawn out. See, this is a controversial sequence um, for stupid reasons, honestly, because this is this is something that I'm sure would actually play pretty well in the theater. Um, at least I could see it doing that because it's it's meant to be fucking with you. It's meant to be funny, is what I'm saying. But if you're watching it alone in your apartment, like I was, yeah, it, it's tedious. You're right. Um, but I get. I know what they were trying to do because we're doing a situation where the cinematography is staged in such a way that we're priming the viewer, like we're leaving vacancies in the frame to suggest that oh whenever he shuts that cupboard door or whenever he shuts the fridge there's going to be a thing that's going to pop out at him or the camera's going to be voyeuristic and it's going to like pop out around a corner to get him or something but then it's it's just false scare after false scare and it's even aided by the soundtrack like the music actually like builds and intensifies and has like string stings when he shuts like cabinet door like doors and stuff so it's just a, it's like three or four instances of him not having anything happen yeah, to him. That, I literally have I'm like he's I'm like uh he's walking around not getting stabbed. Like it it, it just takes forever. I'm like I know what you're yeah. doing. It's going to happen when we least expect it or the fourth time, which it happens yeah. on the fourth time. And even the the stuff in the shower was a little weird to me because like we have a shot ex- like explicitly referencing Psycho. Yeah where we have the shower head coming down, like shooting water pretty much directly into the lens. And like, at first I thought like it was going to play on that where it's like, okay, we're going to have an, like a semi erotic shower scene, but with a dude instead of a of gal, like that's a way of inverting the trope or something, but no, he doesn't even get sudsy. He's just in there and out. 
And then it just serves as an excuse for him to not be aware that something bad's happening to his mom because she gets killed before he even gets out of the shower, as far as I recall. Um, because she gets to the house and then she's intercepted at the front door while he's in the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole reason why she ran back was because she got the phone call saying that her son was going to be killed if she didn't get to the house in time. Yeah. Um, what did you think of her her death? Yeah, she gets murdered in broad daylight right in front of her house, which is terrifying. Um, but it, it's it's not bad. This was like this was a creative way to do this, like to make let this this scene play out. Like she gets to the house and just gets stabbed. And it's like oh, not bad. Um, but you and I did we talk about this about Frosted Flakes getting killed at the beginning of this episode, or was that before we started recording? No, it was it was at the beginning. Okay, but it's worth covering again because it it's weird. It's, so it, it's staged it's very poorly staged because we finally get some sort of like the the culmination of all the false scares of him shutting doors and stuff is uh somehow the front door is ajar uh it wasn't when he came down the stairs so he he goes out to the front room and he shuts the door like he doesn't open the door to look out because because the way this was staged like the the sequencing of events if he had opened the door he would have seen his mom which actually, now that I think about it, could have been a like a, a really cruel setup or something. Right. Where, like, c- cut to the other side of the door when he closes it. And, like, you see, like, mom's not quite all the way dead or something. And it's, like, trying to get his attention, but mm-hmm. he doesn't look. But, no, it's, he just shuts the door and then he turns around. Ghostface is just standing there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, so he just he's just there. He's not even going to pop out or, like, do anything menacing. He's just in the room with him. And then... He stabs him in the throat, and it's, like, off-center. And it looks like it's mostly just through through muscle yeah. and, and flesh, I'm not like, through, like, the carotid or anything. He doesn't even hit an artery. Like, it's like he's slicing off a piece of skin to eat later. Like, it, it's nothing. Well, what I was what I was begging for, and, I, again, maybe this is 2022 or something, because this is a very mainstream slasher horror film. Like, I was just begging for extra gore, because he, he, like goes he slides down the door like like he goes down to the floor with him when he has the blade through the side of his neck now I, I was like there's a chunk of meat just like yeah d- like like lop it off just like like pull the knife out sideways and like get some blah, yeah. like maybe splash the camera with some shit or something but no that that's it he just like he poked him he poked him off center yeah it's it's deeply unsatisfying i don't need you to saw through this kid's bone i just need you to you know kill him because he's not dead um it's weird (laughs) it's weird this movie the violent did you think they did this on purpose the violence never reaches what it does at the beginning like well that i want to say that's actually fairly common is it um the violence in the first one, if as far as I remember it, was most intense in that opening. Like, it's most brutal, for sure. Like, what happens to Drew Barrymore in that um, is really cruel and, and awful. Like, like she has that bit where she's being dragged out the, the yard, mm-hmm. and her parents, like, pick up the phone and hear her, because she's still holding the phone. It's that's like, brutal. that's fucked. Oh, god damn and, it. Uh- and also, she's she, like, manages to, like, take his mask off as he's stabbing her. It's it's really mean. Like even if it's not like gory, it's mean spirited. Um, not in an offensive way, just like in a dramatic way. Um, and also, uh, I think we get some guts. Uh, her boyfriend actually. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I forgot about that. 
I think he gets eviscerated. Like, he yeah. gets disemboweled. And I'm pretty sure we actually see some of that. I miss Keenan Ivory Waynes because now I'm thinking back to Scary Movie 1 and all the funny bits in that opening. Those movies were off-color and not politically correct, as is most Absolutely of... Absolutely not. <laughs> as is most of Keenan Ivory Waynes' uh, uh, films that he directed. But they were still pretty funny, even taking those things out. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, I guess, dies. See, this is, maybe they're messing with us. Maybe this is because you and I both know that, again, the killers in the first movie take their hit. Like, they get stabbed by each other to try to look like victims. And this could almost be seen as, he's stabbed in the neck, but is he really dead? Like, Mm. could he be a part of this still? It's kind of leaving that open for those of us that have seen these movies before. I was... I didn't. I didn't think of that, but that I could totally see. I could totally see you not being alone in thinking that, especially considering that the character's name is Wes, and you know yeah. that carries some weight. And not only that, he se- like of the cast of characters, he seemed like the most, the one with the most depth. Yeah. He he doesn't have any because he's eliminated so early. But um, one very 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 small detail that um, I thought was going to be important that turned out to be nothing was that um in the opening sequence uh when tara is uh texting with amber uh crazy eyes uh, (laughs) um she uh she uh asks like is wes still bothering you Mm. um and also wes is the one who calls sam to bring her to town to to come see tara in the hospital okay and it it all just seemed like it was adding up to him being like a really intense red herring or maybe even the killer or something. It's like, no, he's like one of the first people killed and that's the end of that. And <laughs> it's like, oh, that was lame. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess we get a scene with Gale and Doofy. Uh, I don't really know what happens there. Uh, uh, they they show up at the crime scene at, at Wes's house because the fucking sheriff got murdered on her front lawn. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> um, and so Gail is in town as a national news reporter and Dewey's there because he's helping Sam. Uh, they have their reunion and she's pissed at him because uh, he warned her about like her life potentially being in danger via text. Yeah. Um, so she does the thing where she slaps him a bunch. Um, and then they have some stuff here that I want to say maybe they both brought their own writers to the production or something because actors sometimes do that like they have they have like elements of their contract that entitle them to like additional writers that work on strictly their dialogue or something because they do some like acting shit where like he they talk about the circumstances of their breakup it's actually pretty well acted and it, it actually creates an odd situation where it feels like the legacy characters in this movie are just better written than the young characters are in this movie and it, it creates a weird atmosphere where it's like every time the people we know and love are on screen just the quality of the screenwriting seems to jump up a little bit um but yeah they they have like a slightly tearful reunion and she tells him like uh, he was fired as the sheriff but she tells him like you're not a coward put a pin in that um then we get a pizza hut advertisement uh where richie's eating pizza in bed yeah, and uh, he is he is watching a YouTube channel called Film Fails, which I don't know if that YouTube channel is real. However, I did recognize there's something I did. I recognize that. I mean, there is definitely something called Film Fails, but um, I did recognize the uh, 
the two hosts of the program as uh, being uh, really, really big members of the horror like online community. I forget I forget the guy's name, but all of those uh, In Search of Darkness documentaries that I have on Blu-ray, uh, he's a very big part of them. So that was like some fan service shit that you and I doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, but the, sup- the the super fans of this kind of stuff, I'm sure they're like, oh, I know him, or I've done a podcast with him, or I've tried to do a podcast with him, but he ignored me. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Something yeah. along those lines. Uh, yeah, uh, Sam goes back to the hospital. And she is watching, uh, Tara is watching Dawson's Creek, mm-hmm. um, which uh, apparently, I, I, I don't remember how I learned this. I think Kevin Williamson was a writer on Dawson's Creek. That makes uh, sense. So something, yeah. So it's a, it's a fun little connection. Plus, you know, texturally, tonally, the Scream movies basically look like Dawson's Creek. So he was, he was the nineties. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is where we kind of ramp things up a little bit, I guess. Um, so I don't remember how, exa- like, I don't remember the logistics of how this plays out, but, um, Ghostface comes to the hospital, obviously, and uh, little sister is in the bed, and she's like, "Oh shit, something's going down out there," and the, all the lights go out. Uh, which this never makes sense in any movie. There's not a hospital on this on in this in this country that operates like this. Like it's insane. Like we were joking around. It's like Ghostface would never do this in a hospital. Fuck around with a nurse who's on like her third shift, her third twelve-hour shift this week. She's not putting up with shit. Those the nurses don't put up with shit. Okay, <laughs> trying to well, trying to kill somebody in the hospital. Not not only that, nurses would be present. Yes, that's the big thing. That's a. It, it's like they're everywhere. You cannot <laughs> go anywhere in a hospital without bumping into a nurse or a doctor or somebody. Yeah, I I, I have I've been to a hospital during the COVID years and every wing was bustling with activity yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, no th- this is completely unreasonable i mean at le- they at least tried to hand wave it away in halloween too where it was like you know th- they had something in the script about it being a skeleton crew that night um but yeah somehow there's one guard posted and not one clinician in the entire building. You can't go to an abandoned hospital. There's ghosts in there. There's not a single form of hospital in this country you can go to. There's nothing in there. Well, there, there will be humans in your abandoned hospital. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, you won't they're, expect they're... them. They won't be welcome there, but they'll be there. You don't want to, you're not going to enjoy their company. But yeah, no. So she, so I thought this was interesting. Uh, we were talking about this. So we were kind of assessing her wounds. So we forgot to mention she gets stabbed in the hand. That was a big one. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. Get, she gets stabbed in the hand, uh, and her leg is obviously in a lot of pain because it's in two pieces. Um, <laughs> at least from what I'm gathering, it was a pretty brutal crunch that she got. Interesting. Um, both the wounds that she has, I have two uh, a pair of brothers that I knew from my childhood. One gave one of those injuries to somebody, and the other received uh, a knife to the hand. That's kind of kind of interesting. <laughs> Just piece that together. Uh, but yeah, so she she gets into the wheelchair and her hand's a little bloody as she's rolling. So I'm like, oh, that's gonna come to play because she thinks that she's getting away, but he's just following the trail of blood. Doesn't come to anything. Uh, and the other thing is that she forgets her phone. Impossible. I'm in my 30s and I'm not. I don't leave my like bed 
bedroom without my my phone in my pocket like i go everywhere with it i'm not even this young and i'm pretty sure yeah younger people are just a- as glued. 18, 18 year old girl without yeah. a phone are you out of your mind a five-year-old yeah. a five-year-old and the <laughs> only thing on is dawson's creek <laughs> yeah Jesus. come on man i mean yeah uh, anyway so uh some stuff happens here uh, i don't Again, do you want to how how you want to tell us how this kind of plays out? Because I mean, this is an exciting scene in the movie, obviously. Yeah, actually, this scene is pretty cool. Um, contrived as the setup is, uh, so Tara gets in a wheelchair. Like she actually like mutters under her breath, "Fuck this!" Like yeah. as soon as the lights, as soon as like anything is amiss in the hospital, she's just like, "Fuck this!" So yeah. it's like this feels like an audience proxy moment where like the scream movie and actually the scene happens in this movie. Uh, with with the stab movie accompanying it, where uh, Randy is yelling at the TV like, "Look behind you! Look behind you!" Yeah. you know, it's it's that. Like this is this is one of those moments where everybody in the audience is like, "Yeah, that's exactly what I would do too." Like if somebody had tried to murder me the other day or something, yeah, I'd get right the fuck out of there. Um, and then uh, the the phone, by the way, serves as like a a jump scare. Cause it like vibrates on a table in front of the camera. Um, and she rolls down the hallway, her hands are bleeding. Um, and the guard who was posted there, uh, is dead on the floor. Um, and she immediately checks to see he's if dying. the gun on his, yeah, he, he's gurgling. Yeah. He, he's gurgly. He's uh, gurgling. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Uh, but he, he's basically dead. Um, but his gun is missing. Um, and she does actually like, deliberately look for it <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's like where's the gun it's like shit it's gone um and then uh we get a jump scare where uh richie uh walks in on her because she's trying to hide in a in a room like in a patient's room and uh she like bops him over the head with some hospital equipment um and it starts to, like she like starts to calm down he explains like oh I'm, I'm here because your sister called me and told me to check on you um by the way, the reason why they're all rushing to the hospital is because uh, Sam sees uh, some of the officers who were posted to guard Tara mm-hmm. uh, at at the sheriff's house. Yeah. So she's like, if you're here, then who's there? It's like, oh, the guy who's dead on the floor. Um, but Richie's like, yeah, I'm here because your sister told me to come check on you. And then a uh, ghost face like, jumps in on them and like beats the fuck out of Richie uh, and slashes him on the forearm and then knocks him the fuck out by slamming his head against the door. Um, And uh, this is where we see that Ghostface has the voice modulator thing uh, that um, has been a staple of the entire franchise. Um, It's what makes him sound like... I'm actually going to look up the guy's name. Uh, Roger L. Jackson, uh, who serves as the voice of Ghostface. Um, He sounds like... I, I, I don't know if maybe this is like a Mark Hamill Joker situation where like physically he can't do what he used to do. But in this movie, to me, he sounds like Stanley Tucci or something. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't quite sound like Ghostface to me. I could. I. I couldn't. He didn't really sound like anybody to me. But he definitely sounds much older than what Ghostface is supposed to sound like. Yeah, he. He sounds older and punchier. Yeah. Um, he and, sounds and like he do- listens to Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. <laughs> but if for whatever reason, I was hearing like a pissed off Stanley Tucci. <laughs> He'd make a good evil stepdad or something. Yeah, I would say he would make a good uh, ghost face uh, voice. He he could probably do that. Oh, Stanley Tucci's welcome anywhere and everywhere. Ghostface takes Tara's phone and answers it, 
So he's like chasing her down the hallway. She can't move very fast. She's in a wheelchair. No, she can't. And he actually kicks her. He actually kicks her out of it. By the way, <laughs> this is why I was getting uncomfortable with him terrorizing a child. What it looked like after. I mean, yeah, he stabbed her in the beginning. I'm like, dude, leave her alone. You've already gotten her once. Like, just leave the poor girl alone. Well, what's funny about that, Kyle, is um, I this is not something I ever do with the Scream films because I I just don't care. Um, but I want to say. The person that's attacking her in the hospital is not the person who attacked her initially. No. It, I mean, it can't be. This is somehow Amber, which makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, she's wearing some lifts or something. <laughs> it it kind of makes sense in the first movie because it's two teenage boys. and this, it's like a 30-year-old man and then like a 17-year-old girl. Yeah, and one of whom is two feet taller than the other yeah easily <laughs> he's yeah. very tall yeah. and she, she is very short she is tiny yeah she is probably five foot three yeah if i had to guess if if i had to be honest yeah. um and he is decidedly not but yes this is amber and the because we saw her on the uh the cell phone video at the beginning of the movie then that means it was him in the beginning so this is a, a different person attacking her this time it's like it makes um, no sense but that's okay <laughs> it's a movie yeah um, but this is this is where uh deputy Dewey shows up uh he saves the day um so sam has a brief conversation we kind of do the thing that we do in these scream movies and uh actually this is like a spider-man movie where <laughs> some some demented freak gets on the phone and forces you to make a choice <laughs> it's like is it gonna be mj or the kids um so sam the kids. Has let to, the like, kids die I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst has a future. I don't know about those kids, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the elevator door opens, and Deputy Dewey shows up, and he shoots at Ghostface. Um, and he actually manages... He gets in a melee with Ghostface. Uh, they, he actually does... Uh, it's not quite a, a hip toss, but it's, it's almost like a snap snapmare takedown. Uh, he gets a nice headbutt in, and then uh, he shoots Ghostface, and they fall into like a trophy case or some shit in the hospital and that makes um sense. he sh- he should leave with everybody but he doesn't um he sends everybody on their way th- like via the the hospital elevator and then he goes back because he said oh we didn't shoot them in the head you have to shoot them in the head and that's that's some like meta commentary stuff where it's like everybody in the audience is saying that right now during this part of the movie um and so he goes back Dude, and uh, okay. his phone goes off I'm having a lot I'm having a lot of dumb and dumber things happening. So we have the song from Dumb and Dumber. We have the cop who's on the ground who got his throat slit by the way. And remember Lloyd Christmas does the gag when he's getting his hair cut or when he's getting getting the shave. Now we have Dewey who shoots at Ghostface and is a terrible shot at first but does shoot him point blank. And then he gets in the elevator and says, "Well, we got to shoot him in the head." This is all dumb and dumber. Kyle solved the riddle. Yeah. <laughs> Scream Five is just Dumb and Dumber. There's a it's l- a secret remake of Dumb and Dumber. There's secret nods to Dumb and Dumber in here that yeah, not everybody's picking uh, up on. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, Doofy gets disemboweled. What, yeah, yeah. What did you think of this? I mean, I was fine with it. I'm. It was nice to see uh, somebody else get it in the movie. Finally, um, again, I thought it would be a little more graphic. It's not. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was, it it's not particularly gory, but like yeah. it, it 
the sound effects are done pretty well. David Arquette sells the hell out of it. I mean, I did say he was recently doing a, a stint as a professional wrestler. You do learn a thing or two about selling injuries in particular. Do you have um, to sell being disemboweled in the uh, squared circle? <laughs> I mean, in Japan, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, okay. Um, oh. But yeah. But uh, yeah, the uh, the killer tells him it's an honor when they uh, when they finish the deed. Okay, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Sydney. I always thought it was Cindy, but it's Sydney. Cindy is from Scary Movie. Sydney is from Scream. <laughs> yeah. Your uh, your memories of that have. I've seen Scary Movie way more times than I saw Scream. I was about to say it shows. <laughs> yeah, way more. Uh, yeah, this is where I was like, okay, so Sydney's back, and then I'm like, where's G? Where's uh, JQ? He just kind of disappears out of the scene, but uh, he, you see him as they're leaving. He's kind of got like uh, his arm kind of wrapped up because he does get slashed in the arm, and it looked pretty deep. He got pretty good. Yeah, no, he he gets legit slashed here. Um, let's see here. And then we get, let's see, we're leaving, we're leaving. And then we're, uh, so this was kind of funny. So they're going to go to Amber's house. Uh, I guess this is the third act of the film pretty much. Um, we're going to go to Amber's house where she's having a memorial for, I'm guessing Frosted Flakes since he just died. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is funny because it is just a bunch of teenagers getting drunk in a house. Uh, And that's their memorial for, uh, well, I guess that'll work. I mean, she does comment that, like, that's not what this is supposed to be, but um, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's like, yeah, nobody cares. Um, um, yeah, then we get Amber and Mindy. Is that who it is? Uh, yes. Mindy? Mindy. Mindy's the the horror fan. Yeah. Like the, like the super hardcore uh, horror fan. Yeah. The way she watches horror movies, I wouldn't believe that, but... Um, <laughs> Well, they have this confrontation down in the basement, and this is where we're kind of toying with, oh, who's a suspect? Could it be one of them? Could it be both of them? I don't know if you have anything to add to this scene. I do. Mm. I always do, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, the cinematography. It's identical to the setup with uh, Rose McGowan in the first film. Oh, yeah. I do remember. Like, I think that's the only memorable, like, besides, obviously, um, Get a Little Woozy is, uh, I remember, I remember, like, I wasn't allowed to watch that movie right away. Like, I was, I think I was, like, seven years old when it came out. But I remember, like, going to ask my parents something, and that scene was on, and I remember him, like, slicing her arm in the garage. And I just remember, like, oh, shit, this is some crazy shit that's happening in this movie. But now, yeah. Scary Movie's coming back, and it's a totally different thing. Yeah, all it really is is the setup of being in the basement, but more importantly, that that shot uh, looking up the staircase uh, to the door, it's it's the same framing. It's very intentional. It's cute. Like That's a reference I can appreciate, but nothing about the rest of the scene really matches that at all. Um, The two of them just have a confrontation and reiterate the rules about don't everybody's a suspect everybody's a suspect um, like which is funny being as Mindy is that character's niece. um, So she's carrying the message forward to the next generation yeah uh, uh, but unfortunately we don't get a garage door kill like we have in at least two other scream films that i can recall and scary movie um <laughs> uh yeah and then we got buff stuff and his girlfriend with the red hair dry humping like they are about to fuck in this party like they are about it's about to happen um but i think he ends up just like he's like 
nah, I don't want to go upstairs. She's like, you want to go upstairs? I'm like, yes, please go upstairs. You're making everybody uncomfortable. Um, and he's like, no, you, you might be a killer. You, you might be the killer. So no. <laughs> yeah. Again, this, this is like audience proxy stuff where it's like the people in the audience in the theater in particular are probably agreeing with him wholeheartedly. <laughs> this makes absolutely no sense because they are in high school and he is a high school boy. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. You know, Chemi- chemicals take over man like, like, like yeah yeah uh, the the body wants what it wants you'll let your drunk friend borrow your dad's mercedes <laughs> like i'm about yeah dude good good go ahead you will you you are very uh how would you put it um they, people can convince you of just about anything at that point um but yeah no he he he's not about it and she storms off she's not happy about that as well she should be um because I'm like I was like you cock block, <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> okay, so um, I had I had a, 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 something funny here. Um, what the memorial? So we're trying to track somebody here. Uh, who are we trying to track? So during our introductory scene with all the teenagers at the high school, um, the jock and the purple haired girl. Um, we establish that they're a couple. Mm-hmm. He is really trying to get in her pants, but he's also trying to urge her to get an app called Find My Fam, uh, which is, it's like a, a, I don't know, a GPS tracker that you can yeah. install on your phone so you can find each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets a text from her, and oh, I guess this is where the, the cloned phone technology comes comes back. Yeah. Um, so he gets a text from Liv saying... Uh, come find me via the app. So he goes for a walk, and by the way, his sister says, like, so you're going to go off wandering alone? Like, without a weapon? Or, okay. And so he, like, grabs, like, a a candlestick or something to use as a weapon. But um, he goes out into, the like, the backyard, and he turns on the the app, and it turns into fucking alien or aliens with a motion tracker. I I literally have, (laughs) see if you can read it, uh, I cannot. Oh, I'm sorry. It says uh, he's in the ceiling. <laughs> Movement. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, he's like, like standing on the spot where it's supposed to be, and they're like, Where, "Where's it at?" I'm like, and you know, obviously they they figure out they're in the oh, ceiling. Oh, he needed Sigourney Weaver to show up and say, "Maybe you're," not, and her Michael being like, "Maybe you're not reading it right." Yeah. <laughs> three meters, three man. The room, man. They're three meters through the damn room. Um, and then I think he gets attacked here. Um, he does. He, he does. Don't. It's not really much of a, a, a much of a scene, really. Like he kind of fights off. A, by the way, if it's either one of the killers, he would have definitely beaten the shit out of either one of them. He's a very big guy. Yeah, he's a big um, dude, especially compared to that that white supremacist to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he he is a very physical individual, and he does fight them off. But he gets stabbed in the thigh. Mm-hmm. And they actually do a pretty good job of showing the damage that that can do. Um, he's like bleeding out and getting woozy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but he uh, he tries to like throw his phone away to like get them off the scent of the app and whatnot. But we get this like cute little scene where uh, there's like a a tool shed and he he walks past it and then the doors fling open and in like one seamless take, Ghostface runs out from behind him and. Uh, tackles him to the f- ground and and shanks him like three or four times in the abdomen. Um, and shocker, uh, he actually did not die. 
Um, they don't. He doesn't have a line of dialogue, but he is in a stretcher and he gives a thumbs up. Nice. Like the camera just glides past him at the end of the movie. It's like, oh, both the siblings got fucked up, but they're both alive. It's like cowards. <laughs> it's like more body count. Goddamn it, more. Shoot him. Um, so I want to know who does the lighting for high school movies for high school parties and movies because. I think only one high school party movie I've seen that actually did it right was Can't Hardly Wait. It's like crazy well lit in that. And there's like no lighting. This has got, she's got like crazy like rave lights going on in the party. I'm like, this, who does, who does, someone do that for my party if I have a party. Like, do the lighting for my, my house party. Um, I don't know who's yeah, doing it. Yeah, it actually serves a, it actually serves a purpose in this movie and that's to disguise the geography of the building. Um, to, to make it like a reveal to maybe people who remember the Scream movies, but not all that well. Um, because, as, as Kyle had mentioned earlier, the finale of this movie takes place in the same house as the first film. Which is really weird, especially considering we, we had the same scenario play out in the third movie, except it was a film set which was built to be designed to look exactly like the same house. So we've been in this house a lot. Yeah. So all the like the super fans out there and and you know Kyle and I probably sussed out like oh well, it's the same house. Um but the the late the lighting and the presence of all the bodies moving around like does disguise it to some extent. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a little much. It's like where are these light sources posted? Because magically they're not here anymore, and I didn't see anybody carrying out any heavy electrical equipment when they left. Also, this is supposed to be a memorial, um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so JQ comes in, and I think Sam is—I'm assuming Sam is with them—and they're like they have to get everybody out of the house. And uh, I like this. It's like yeah, they kick everybody else. Everybody drive home drunk, okay? <laughs> like because this is a high school party. These kids are all drinking. It's just like no, you guys need to go home, uh, which is really irresponsible on their part. Yeah, I want to say a lot of his dialogue throughout this entire movie, but the scene in particular is probably improvised, and and he is quite funny. Like he's quick. Did he? Um, did did somebody say is like that somebody's dad's such a dick? Does somebody call him like somebody's dad or something? I thought it, I think so. I think I heard. I think so. I think somebody's like that. yeah, it's like saving your life, saving your life. Yeah. <laughs> he's just ushering everyone out the door. By the way, we have a confrontation between Liv and Mindy. It's like a, a last-second attempt at like planting the seeds for like making a case for Liv being one of the killers, even though we know fuck all about her. Like, like, did you catch this? Yeah, it was very brief and it was stupid. I'm like, yeah, I honestly like I was getting checked out at this point. She, uh, basically, she Liv gets super aggro mm-hmm. with Mindy, seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, I, I get it. Like, she really, really, really wanted to bang her brother. It didn't happen. Maybe go have a beer and get over it. But yeah. no, she, like, freaks the fuck out. And all my notes says is just that was hostile, <laughs> to say the least. What do we got here? Drive drunk. Oh, the acting is getting worse as the movie progresses. This is annoying. And then... My next note is Amber has a gun. Uh, that's the next big reveal. Yeah, so we have a, a sequence where... Um, so, by the way, Gail and uh, Sydney have been oh. in a car driving to the house for the past 15 minutes. Um, they had a confrontation with Sam and Tara and Richie earlier that's pretty 
dull doesn't really amount to much um point is they put a tracker on on richie's car and they've been following them and they discover before sam and richie and them that the house that they're headed to is quote Stu Stu mocker's house uh which would be uh matthew lillard's house um which was which is the same house that the finale of the first one took place in um and basically we have the situation where like all of the principal actors like all the main characters that are still alive in the in the story up to this point all run into the room at like at the same time so it's just like every every way you look there's a character running into the room who could potentially be the killer at this point and then all the tension is blown out the door by uh, uh amber who has like tara by the arm she's like helping her get around uh hoisting up a pistol and shooting Liv in the face um right as everybody's like accusing her of being the killer it's like oh i guess not um so killer number one is outed at this point and Liv is dead um and uh sam and richie take off they like hide in the basement or some shit and uh sam has a knife she's like suspicious of richie because she's like replaying the rules of these of these stories in her head with him and she's like i can't trust you i can't trust anybody um and then sydney and gail show up and uh what happens here uh Gail. Oh, amber come amber comes out the front door yeah yeah she uh, just she claims to be wounded <laughs> she's screaming and then she just like eh, fuck it and she just shoots gail on the stomach which is kind of funny um and then we get like do it for doofy like it, it's, it's pretty stupid um and then uh sydney goes through the house uh she manages to get a gun from somebody she has one. Oh, she has she, one okay she, she i mean she's been in four slasher movies up to now touche yeah she's armed <laughs> she should own a gun she's armed to the teeth uh but yeah she's just like i thought it was kind of funny so she starts going through this house she's like hey i got a gun i'm gonna start shooting so if you're in some place get out okay good enough <laughs> So she just like major pains her way, just bam, bam. Like she just shoots one of the doors. I'm like, God damn. Like she's not fu- yeah. fucking around. And then she shoots another door. And then she ends up shooting a door and hears somebody go, ow. And she ends up shooting Jack, or yeah, Jack Quaid uh, in the leg, I think. Does she graze him or? Yeah. Yeah, she, she shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he comes out and he's like, ah, cool, lady. Um, but yeah, she she does the whole uh, if he in there, he ain't happy routine with every door up the staircase. And she does get a phone call from Ghostface, um, which she promptly hangs up on because she's like, dude, I, I am too damn old for this. <laughs> like, just just come out so I can shoot you. Um, and she goes over the banister with Ghostface, who pops out of a closet when she's dealing with Richie, mm-hmm. like as she's getting Richie to come out of the closet. And uh, they both, both she and Ghostface, go over the banister onto the floor um, and then uh, we get our second killer revealed here, where uh, Sam runs into the room as Sydney and Ghostface are fighting over the pistol that's on the floor, and then uh, Richie hobbles down the stairs, presumably to come help. Uh, but no, he stabs Sam in the side uh, with a knife. Yeah. Um, and this is where uh, the other shoe drops. Now we have both of our killers out in the open. There are no more killers. It's just the two. Um, and like every quote that comes out of Richie's mouth from here on out is is really just like putting an exclamation point on the theming that we we've been doing with this particular scream film. Where like the first one's like a 
a meta commentary on the subgenre itself. The second one is a, comment, a meta commentary on not only slasher films but sequels. Third one's more just like about the film industry in general, um, and the fourth one is about uh, reboots, uh, which we have since progressed beyond reboots, and now we're in the territory of something not quite that. Where it's we're not starting from scratch. We're not remaking the thing. We're starting it with the same name and putting legacy actors in it so we can get the best of every audience available. But um, I have I have a couple of quotes from him. Sit the fuck down, Prescott! <laughs> Sit the fuck down, Prescott! Yeah. <laughs> that is a great one. That's fine. That is a great His one. His delivery is fantastic. Oh, hang on a sec. I gotta let this stupid dog out. Sit the fuck down, Prescott! <laughs> Sit the fuck down. Sit the fuck down, Prescott! <laughs> it's just really funny. His delivery. <laughs> It has a really good snap to it. I I, I caught that one as well. Um, but someone has to save the franchise. Nobody takes the true fans seriously. How can fandom be toxic? They don't understand. Yeah. These movies are important to people. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you may as well have just taken quotes from the Star Wars Reddit. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. <laughs> We're we're working the kinks out, folks. Like this is this is the pilot program for the soundboard. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, the, uh, where do we go from here, Kyle? I say like, yeah. The, of course, it's JQ. He's a loser working at a bowling alley. Um, so okay, so there are some funny lines in here. Uh, it's like, how did you figure out that? Uh, I don't know who it was. It's like, how did you figure out this was her? She goes, it's a small town, and her mom's a drunk. <laughs> it's just a really good line. Um, what? So, some more of the meta. The only good meta, I would say, in this film is how Sadie gets it, um, Amber. Uh, so, they get into, again, we have like ten fucking scuffles that have to break out and settle down, break out, settle down. But this one, I don't know which, who it is, if it's one of the, the bleeding ladies... Um, everybody's bleeding. Yeah, everybody's bleeding. I'm thinking like Gail's bleeding, Sydney's bleeding. Uh, I think Sam got fucked up too at this point, but she she got stabbed. Somebody, and it only makes sense because this movie comes out in 2022. Why they would have a big giant bottle of hand sanitizer, but she ends up getting uh, Amber gets smashed in the head with hand sanitizer. She goes, "Is that hand sanitizer?" <laughs> it's kind of a funny reaction. I'm like, you could have just left it at that. But I didn't know what was going to happen next was she ends up getting set on fire. Which, I think it's funny they did that. They could have done it with, like, Everclear, because Everclear is flammable. Like, somebody could have been drinking. Like, why are you drinking Everclear? Like, are you fucking out of your mind? And, like, having that nearby. It would have worked just as well, but because we're post-COVID, somebody would have a giant liquor bottle full of fucking hand sanitizer because, yeah, yeah, distilleries started doing that during the pandemic. But it is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. But yes, this is the second time we get to see this actress burn alive on screen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, this this actress, she, uh, Mikey Madison, by the way, mm-hmm. is her name. Um, she was, of course, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and yes, she was set on fire in that film as well. Uh, brutalized first, and then set on fire. Um, and th- this very much felt like, you know, just a, an in-joke for anybody who would care to notice that that little quirk in her filmography that's like, shit, that happened twice. Yep. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why the fuck not? I mean, it's at this point probably the, one of the more memorable things she has on her filmography, so why not just do it again, make a gag out of it? 
which is fitting considering that she is a horrible like horrible person in this like mm. like she she is represented as being like utterly cruel and awful mm-hmm. um and it's it's really heightened during this sequence where uh, she uh, she gets into a like a, a melee uh with our two uh legacy cast members uh so that would be courtney cox and dev campbell and they're just having this throwdown in the kitchen everybody's taking nasty bumps um but there's this break in the action where she has a, where they're like about to shoot her like they're holding up a gun at her and she's tr- she suddenly pivots from being like menacing and awful to them to like begging for her life mm-hmm. um and she, she uses the phrase i was radicalized yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she blames the internet yeah. uh, which is which is you know yeah true yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> <laughs> but uh she very quickly pivots away from that and once again tries to kill them it's actually a pretty well played out scene yeah. um, but she gets shot multiple times and set on fire yeah, we could use some re-education on not believing everything you read. Uh, I think that would do us some good as, well, as a culture. And, like, and the the way that she and Richie hooked up was through the stab subreddit. Also, we're completely <laughs> glossing over a very problematic uh, thing with their relationship. Again, it makes sense because he is a guy in his 30s who works at a bowling alley in, a, I'm guessing, a small town who is romantically entangled with a high school student. Yeah. Nope. Yep. <laughs> okay, bro. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you're not meant to like him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. But no, it, we just it's it works. It's never addressed by the characters in the film. It just kind of we we just kind of gloss over that. And like I didn't really make that connection until just now. Um, yeah. But I forgot. So this movie is bookended by pretty graphic scenes. Um, I personally love the way uh, JQ gets it at the end of this movie. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I I was very satisfied with it. It it, it feels like like a like one, like a rape revenge movie or something mm-hmm. where it, where it's like they're like think um death proof. <laughs> like I basically you have this this menacing figure rendered completely just pathetic and and worthless by the end of it where he goes from you know, being in control of the situation, being scary, and then he's basically just a, a whining child on the ground dying. Um, so it's it's a good comeuppance for for such a monster, and uh, the the staging of it is very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's pretty fucking brutal, and uh, he really sells the fuck out of it. Like he looks like a pathetic, just worm writhing around on the ground yeah uh we gotta hurry up because i have to watch two more episodes of the boys tonight like i can't take it anymore <laughs> i need more i need more jack quaid um okay I, but, uh, do you I'm, do you recall how she gets the knife though uh yeah <laughs> yes i do remember how she gets the knife <laughs> okay that's an important detail that we should not gloss over <laughs> it's very important because it's pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck i forgot so so she sam's on the floor like you know crawling away trying to get away and um as you know jq is of course just blah 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 blah, 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 blah talking and about to do something uh she looks up in a mirror and you just see skeet ulrich <laughs> in the mirror and he's just like look yeah he's like yeah turn look behind you Uh, (laughs) and he's like pointing over and this knife is definitely the knife from the first movie i remember very 
very much that he, this was the knife that it's he. A, it's a hunting knife yeah, it, of some it's sort. It's your standard, uh, standard uh, field knife, um, and he. I don't. I didn't see any characters with the knife in the movie at this point, unless maybe that's what Ghostface had. I just didn't notice. But it's just kind of tucked underneath the curtain. Yes, but she, I believe, manages to get a hold of that. And um, I have Jack Quaid gets it by multiple stab wounds, throat slit, and then a gunshot to the head. Uh, many, many gunshots. Many gunshots yeah. to the head. Yeah. Yeah, the initial blow is he gets stabbed through the cheeks. Nice. Both yes. ends. Yeah. Like in, in one end, out the other. Um, but yeah, the ghost dad... Yeah. directs her to the knife on the floor it's like yeah maybe take more of those pills lady because yeah. <laughs> that's not healthy it's like frankly i don't know how you're functioning in daily society if if that's the extent of your delusions wow yeah. um yeah uh so the ghost of skeet ulrich uh saves the day but yeah he, she stabs him in the mouth and mounts him and stabs him everywhere yeah. in his torso and then uh I think his his last line is like, uh, "What about my ending?" Because the the whole concept uh, behi- between like behind he and Amber's killing spree has been um, they want th- the events that have played out over the past couple of days to serve as a springboard for further stab films. Yeah, like they they want to get the film franchise back on track um, because he was so disgusted with how Stab Eight went. So he hated The Last Jedi so much that people had to die, yeah. which is sad, but unfortunately the world we live in um, these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, his last line, if, if I remember right, is, what about my ending? And then I forget what the reply is, but uh, Sydney men- mentions, like, you got to shoot him in the head, and uh, she basically, like, dumps the whole clip into him. Yeah. And sh- in hit all over him but mostly in the face <laughs> i didn't write down what her what her final word was but i remember it was stupid because i said out loud well that was stupid like that wasn't a good steven seagal one-liner or some shit like that um it's sad too because the fourth one had a really good one what was like it? like a steven seagal worthy one if i remember right um nev campbell it's a don't fuck with the original okay that's it's decent like, that's fine i was like that that's actually as far as these movies go, that's, like, just, that's a pretty. I was that's a say. pretty good sign. No, I mean that's a pretty good sign off. Like, yeah. like to to kill the to kill the killer and end it that way. That's pretty solid. This man. was like rubber baby buggy bumpers, and then she shoots him seven times <laughs> in the head. But you didn't know I was going to say that. Yeah. Just just um, rewatch that. It is it is fantastic. Yeah, Last Action Hero is yeah. is quite enjoyable on yeah. many many levels yeah. but um that's how you do meta <laughs> that's how you do I mean, meta. yeah actually that is that is an example of that done for the most part quite well yeah um but we have one more surprise though is there? Because we had to do something different mm. uh so we can't just have one surprise uh killing uh we have well actually no because jaquade uh never got to do he never got to do the black yeah that you know it's a staple of the subgenre and also the scream films um amber uh, shows up for one last ah uh, she comes running out of the kitchen and she's horribly burned and has at least three bullets in her uh, she comes screaming out of the kitchen and uh tara saves the day um <laughs> yeah uh reginald vel johnson style tara saves the day <laughs> who oh the 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 little the little girl okay i was like 
the, the one f- from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She f- she comes back for an encore. No, who saves the day? Is it the young the young girl? Yeah, the the okay. younger sister. Okay, the younger sister. Uh, who, by the way, got into a melee with Amber earlier. She beat her with a crutch. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it was pretty cool. I remember. Sa- I remember she was there. I'm like, go for the trachea. Go for the trachea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she uh, shoots Amber in the head. Nice. Uh, it's just like a blah kind of moment. It's it's. And her her closing line, maybe this one will sit better with you, Kyle. Mm. I still prefer the Babadook. Uh, yeah, yeah, as 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 well she should. Um. Uh, but yeah, the uh, authorities and uh, ambulances and the press they all roll up to the house. Uh, very similar to the conclusion of the first one. Um, Min- we see here that Mindy lived, as did her brother. We see them both being wheeled out. Uh, Mindy was attacked earlier in the film. She only got she got like face lacerations and like stabbed in the shoulder but she's all right um and uh we epilogue for gail i guess is that she's gonna go back to writing which dewey had said made her happy she decides she's no longer going to write about the stab movies she's going to write about dewey probably um sam has a last minute conversation with nev campbell who tells her she will be okay eventually and uh sam leaves with tara in a uh, ambulance uh, we see very prominently displayed. Uh, Sam has her pills in her in her jean pocket, so it's like my, still on the pills. My ulcer, uh, get my pills. <laughs> my ulcer. But yeah, uh, we get the Richard Donner slash uh, Die Hard ending, where a crane shot pulling out uh, from from the crisis scene, yeah. <laughs> and then credits. Yeah. And uh, for Wes, by the way, I did appreciate that because yeah. it, it's it is absolutely warranted considering he did every other movie in the series except this one uh, but yeah that was scream from 2022 directed by two people uh who i have to look up their names because it's hard to remember because <laughs> they have many names and there's two of them matt bettinelli Olpin, and tyler gillette part of radio silence a directing collective i think is what they call it man i gotta learn all this shit <laughs> um but yeah, any, uh, any closing thoughts on this one? Uh, I'm feeling woozy, yeah. I think that's all I have to say uh, about that. Yeah, yeah. Kyle's feeling a little woozy here. Yeah. I think it is about time to wrap it up. But um, yeah, uh, this one was all right. I think I prefer Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, but I did not think of this as a waste of time. It was mostly entertaining, and I bet if I had watched it with my girlfriend, uh, with my partner... Um, probably would have had to contend with uh, somebody talking over the whole experience but it probably would have been more enjoyable than just watching it on my own uh so not a mo- not a bad movie by any means but uh <laughs> definitely not kyle's cup of tea no um but that being said uh if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content um you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com uh, we are also on the social medias. You can find us on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Um, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fucking Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Sit the fuck down, Prescott!